When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In Chicago, two comedian skeptics named Andy and Art were mysteriously abducted by the illusionary mastermind and conspiracy theorist known only as Mr. Mr. Bunker. Bunker. The following serves as a record of Bunker's attempt to convince non-believers of the truth about conspiracies and paranormal activity. Andy and Art give an uninterrupted presentation and verdict on the plausibility of these offbeat topics, delivering what they call the, the whole enchilada. Will Mr. Bunker convince these two skeptics any of this is real? Will it convince you? Welcome to Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. I'm your co-host, Andy Hart, and with me, as always, is your co-host, Art Stone. Salutations. We got a great show for you guys tonight. Ow! <laughs> Uh, this, the kinks are here. The kinks are here. Everybody remembers the kinks. Woo! The current current uh, version of the kinks, that is, uh, no original members. Really? I don't know. Oh. This Listen, is my favorite if you're gonna thing. you're going to bring up British, Andy, it's 2023, it's a new fucking year. If you're going to bring up British invasion bands from the fucking 60s, oh, I'm still make sure you have your facts straight. Look, I'm still sour about this British invasion. You know what? <laughs> Fucking United States was sovereign territory. They had no right to come here and play Shea Stadium. That's our Ed Sullivan show. That's our show for Americans. Not for some fucking red coat Brits. Making our women piss their pants. 1776 will rise again. And you know what else will rise again? Conspiracy Mr. theories. Bunker. Mr. Oh. Bunker. Oh, uh, whoa. Oh, fuck. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, because Mr. Bunker did die. Uh, he was crucified over the the holidays. That's right. And uh, he's rising again. It's the third day or whatever. Third day or whatever. Third trimester. They rolled away the stone and there he was. <laughs> nothing nothing to be found but his dirty loincloth. <laughs> yeah, the uh, words clean and loincloth can never go together when talking about Mr. Bunker. Yeah, I don't... I mean... We're kicking off the new year with kind of a big ass fucking fucking hefty boy topic. I mean, but let's hungry, talk hungry, about hungry. a loincloth for a second. Yeah, let's talk about loincloth. If you were wearing a loincloth, let's say you're a loincloth wearer. How long I've do never you th- had the pleasure. How long do you think it takes for the loincloth to get dirty? Well, you know, Andy, I mean, some people in this room um might have been very lazy over the holidays and may have been putting off doing laundry. And so they've been re-wearing a lot of their underwear over and over again. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's, I don't know who that is in this room. It could be anybody in this room. Literally. (laughs) So for me, I think I could get a good like three to four wears out of a loincloth. Yeah. And I know that based on facts, uh, alleged facts. Yeah. I feel like the stinkiest, dirtiest part for me 
is more of the Grundle. The areas that you call me? The, the areas that aren't the dick. Oh, like the taint and butt? The undercarriage. Like underneath where your balls are? Right. Uh, yeah, that is a stinky area. So if I only had a loincloth. But the front of the loincloth is where, you know, like, it's kind of like a pre-cum. sheet pan where you collect the drippings. Right. You got to leak your dick. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like, that's where you're going to collect your drippings. You if you wear drippings. a loincloth, can you just start pissing? Dude, I don't think loincloths cover the undercarriage. I think you're they free balling it. It flaps down, so. It's just a front. If you're if you're pointed the right way, you could just start pissing. Wait, what is the lore on loincloths? I don't know. Is there a is if you have a front and back to the loincloth, is there a taint protector or no? Is it I don't just know. front and back connected I, with a string? I sort of feel like if there's anything that goes underneath, that's whitey tidies. Right, you you wear an underwear. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's not a loincloth anymore. The loincloth, I think, has to be free dangling. So your loincloth is going to last for weeks, dude. And what's the point of even covering up the butt crack? Oh, it gets cold. I don't want to sit down on something. How much? How much? Listen, you're you out there in the caves in the forest. You sit down on a sharp rock. It's going to go right up your ass. But what's the loincloth going to protect you from? Bugs. I don't think it will. I think they can get around it. Bugs Bunny. Yeah, popping up out of the ground in your asshole. Well, that's true. You don't want to be sitting on the ground. Bugs Bunny goes, pops right up out of the ground. At least that's trying small, to ask you where Albuquerque at is. At least that small piece of leather would stop him from getting into your asshole. But you know what won't eh. stop? <laughs> What's up your ass, Doc? Oh, it's me. <laughs> Bugs Bunny. Oh, no. The carrot went up my ass. <laughs> Ooh, Bugs. Are you dressed like a lady? <laughs> but you're Bugs right, Art. true millennial. He's eating ass. We have a Bugs Bunny eating ass size topic. We do. Today. One of the, um, probably one of the biggest conspiracies um, mm. about the global elite New World Order mm-hmm. um, that exists today. It's the Bohemian Grove. By the power of Grayskull. Bohemian. Bohemian. Yeah. Right? You all know Bohemian. This is like a group of uh, Bohemians. These are um, these are like an- ancient, not ancient, but like medieval 13th century people from like Eastern Europe area, right? Bohemians. Right, yeah. These are people that are this is from what we're talking about the current day Czech Republic. Yeah, like kind of the Czech Republic. And it's right. like. And it's a bunch of trees. Medieval. They, they're druids. That's the today's topic? Right. It's about oh. druids. And that's one of the biggest conspiracies. Biggest in the conspiracies in the world. Huh. Um, but, huh. you know. We're gonna reveal it all. We're gonna we're gonna huh. serve up the whole enchilada on this topic. So wow! If you can't wait to dig in, if you're if you're hungry, you're hungry. You can't wait to eat in that enchilada's asshole. Then and this came to us from somebody. Oh, this did come to us from somebody. Wow. Let's do that before we tell them to go fucking wow. jump ahead. Wow! 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 Let's wow! Let's get a yeah. little shout out. Yeah, going before here. you jump ahead, like uh, thank you, Dom from Instagram. Dom from Instagram for suggesting this topic. Uh, this is a good one. And uh, if you're like. 85% of our audience and you can't wait to jump right ahead into that topic because you know just randomly fast forwarding through all of the bullshit chatter that we do because <laughs> God knows nobody wants to hear about two people who have a personal connection. Yeah. Then you can check the show notes. Wait, they hear about stuff. that on this show? What? Two people who have a personal connection? I didn't Well, think we might talk happened. about two people who have a personal connection. We don't have any kind of connection to ourselves or each other <laughs> or any other humans for that matter. We're very untethered to reality. Yeah. Check the show notes. You can go there. Whatever. But first, we're going to fucking, whether you like it or not, we're going to yeah. tell you how we got abducted this week. 
Oh, Art and I are finally seeing our 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 entertainment careers take off. Yeah. I mean, you guys know you listen to the show week in and week out. You motherfuckers can't get enough. You're you're eating us, you're scooping us out. You you like we're Briar's ice cream. We are we are a person with a loincloth and you are Bugs Bunny. You <laughs> yeah. cannot get enough. Yeah. You guys eat us up and you're always saying stuff online. You're posting about it. You're tweeting it. I mean, it's crazy. We see the millions of you out there. Right. And it's um you know, it's like you're saying Hollywood like, season. When are these guys going to get their own cinematic universe? When are these guys going to get to break into the Hollywood scene, baby? I mean, Hollywood heard your pleas and Hollywood answered the bell mm-hmm. because we finally, yeah, at long last, without paying any dues, were cast in a big budget Hollywood blockbuster, right? The foundational film mm-hmm. of the bunk cinematic universe, right? The this BCU. Is, yep, the BCU. Um, Art and I are both uh, thrilled that we got cast as superheroes, a superhero duo. As we should be, right? Mm-hmm. We are, a lot of people think of us as, they, they, they'll write in and they'll say things like, you guys saved me right, with your comedy and yeah. your podcast. This podcast saved me. Right. And we go like, wow, you're right. We are heroes. Like, I am We're a like, hero. Like, it's like, me. We usually send them, you know, a you know, canned response because yeah. we get too many of these to actually respond individually. It's like us, firefighters, soldiers, you know, first responders. But like, we're up there. Mm-hmm. We're in the same. Your parents. Yeah. Like we're heroes. Right. We're we're probably, you know, it's like, I don't want to say that if this podcast had been around on 9-11 that. It would have saved more people than the fire department in New York, but it's possible. It's hard to know that for sure. But we're fine. We're glad that we're finally being recognized as the the type of people that we are, which is. Just I, I mean, it's like, you know. If I was on that plane. Here's the thing. If me and you were on that plane. There would have been a lot of blood in the first class cabin and then me saying, OK, we're going to land somewhere safely. Don't worry. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. That's a yeah. And imagine which, I'm, you know, that's a quote attributed to Mark Wahlberg, but it's a it's a it's a statement that I agree with. Right. Well, Mark Wahlberg famously said when he was asked by Men's Men's Journal, you know, if he was on that plane on 9-11, it would have landed safely. Yeah. He said that legitimately. <laughs> and it's a sentiment I think both of us share, because if we were on that plane, yeah, <laughs> we would have been landed safely. I mean, if if we had been on the airwaves, they could have just piped this into the airplane and probably the uh, terrorists would have just stopped. I think it's super cool that Mark Wahlberg basically called everybody else on the 9-11 airplanes pussies. Right. For not standing up to these hijackers. Yeah. All of the victims that died on those airplanes, Mark Wahlberg says- If only Mark Wahlberg was on that plane. pussies because you couldn't beat the terrorists and kill them. And if only the Mark safely. Wahlberg was on that plane. Oh, pilots, dude. by the way, pussies. <laughs> Uh, air, air, aircraft, uh, the, the employees, all of the, the, uh, the, uh, what do you call them? Flight attendants, oh, pussies. Fuck, he would have landed the plane himself. Yeah. Would have landed the plane safely. <laughs> I mean, uh, to me, I take that to mean that Mark Wahlberg would have murdered the terrorists, uh, possibly while murdering some, uh, passengers as collateral damage. We're in the same group as Mark Wahlberg. Right. We're the Mark Wahlbergs of podcasting. We are heroes. <laughs> And we finally got cast in what I think is probably like an offshoot of the MCU. Like it's like this new cool thing they're doing, MCU style thing, you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Everybody's getting a Marvel Cinematic Universe nowadays. Right. Um, 
this is like um I, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's it's like it's like Mar- there's Marvel Cinematic Universe, right, right, and right. and this is the this is the cinematic the superhero cinematic universe for old people and people who don't have any culture. And the Bunk Cinematic Universe is resetting the whole idea of what it means to have a cinematic universe and yeah. actually doing it right. Yeah, and doing it fucking cool style, right? Um, hip. It's very hip. It's very young. Lots of nudity. Yep. Mostly male, right? But lots of nudity. Um. It's got great music, uh-huh. special effects, right. everything CGI. Everything you want in a movie. Yeah. And so we are the new superhero duo. It's, we can finally announce it. You yeah. Know, we, got the, we got the release forms from the, the agents. And we Bunk are- Bunkline Media. Bunkline Media. And we are cock and balls. Cock and balls. That's right. That's our superhero duo. We are- uh, it's not. It's not a Batman and Robin thing. It's not a Batman and Robin thing. It's not a Superman and Superboy thing. No, it's not. It's not one of these like where there's one clearly who's superior, right? And one who's. And this is a tandem. It's like a tag team superhero duo. It's tag team superhero. You can't duo. have one without the other. It's a lot like the Wonder Twins, right? Exactly. And we both have special rings. Well, I guess Cock has a special ring. Mm-hmm. Cock does have a special balls, ring. Balls doesn't have a special ring, but you get the idea. It's a wonder. It's like a Wonder Twins thing. Yeah. So we're we're superheroes. Uh, we're, uh, you know, it's got to. We can't say well, too you, much because we'll spoil right. the whole movie. But. Right. Like I play cock and you play balls. Right. And I have the ability to like supersize myself. Like I can grow really big mm-hmm. or I can shrink really small. Right. And be very loose. Right. Which totally comes in handy being loose and right. like fluid. Yeah. And floppy. Right. And like sometimes there's there's like I don't want to, you know, we over the course of the movie, like we can reveal this. We do fight a supervillain named the Taint. Mm-hmm. And um, this is kind of, you know, classic. If you guys read the comics out there, you fucking nerds, um, you read those comics, fucking big dorks. Right. You read these dumbass comic books with horrible writing and the art isn't even that good. And it's not anatomically correct. Yeah. Um, you know, like Nick Simon types who right. like read these stupid books uh, that are for babies and children. Um, not like big grown strong men like us who are right. like Mark Wahlberg who could definitely have stopped 9-11 if we were only on those planes. If only we had been on those planes. But I was 10 years old. I couldn't buy a ticket. So right. what am I going to do? So um, you read the books. You know that the taint is kind of like Batman's Joker. It's like the big, it's like the main villain of right. cock and balls. Right. And so cock can grow really big. I've got a special magic ring that lets me grow really big, but it also keeps me really small. I've got lots of different powers. You, of course, as balls. Yeah, I have, I have, I have, you know, I'm sort of like, um, kind of like Rhino from the Spider-Man universe. Like I've got really leathery skin. Um, you know, when it's, you know, it's like, I, I also have like some sort of a shape shifting yeah. type of, uh, power, but, right. um, it's also, and this is part of the origin story. Um, my body is, is basically like bifurcated <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. And there are, there are two humongous tumors <laughs> On one on my right side and one on my left side, and they're very they're very solid and sturdy, mm-hmm. and so they can be used sort of like wrecking balls almost. Um, yeah, and and so you store these mag the special magic like yellow laser beams that you mm-hmm. can you store those right. But I get to use them, so like that's how we're like a tandem duo. Is like you store it for me and you help charge that shit up. Right. But then I have to like, you need me to like aim it. So it's, there's a lot of like stuff that's really interesting with this dynamic where we this need is why each it's, other. This is why it's not Batman and Robin. This right. is like a teamwork thing. Right. Because I'm like the battery and 
cock is like the weapon. So I'm charged up. But balls can also be used. Right. Balls balls should not be ignored. Because to to ignore the balls is to do so at your own peril. If you, you could get slammed around. Right. You could get Right. People are people are always focused on cock because cock is just spraying stuff everywhere. But you know what? Meanwhile, balls Balls is, is in the background. Balls is in the background. And balls is balls is still there. Balls still needs your attention. And without saying too much, that's Taint's downfall. Taint focuses too much on the cock. <laughs> nah, I'm a diversion. Right. When you're there in the shadows. Right. Cock is the flashy one. Yeah, you like you like suck yourself together and you become almost invisible. Right. You're like hidden. But then all of a sudden, boom, balls. But it's like, you know, really, if people would think about it, you disable balls first and then the cock is useless. <laughs> If balls are disabled, cock can't really do a lot. Right, it's true. I mean, you know, and if if cock, you know, cock is, is some of his powers, like if he if he gets denied, you know, uh, cock is very motivated by by being able to use his powers, right? Right. If cock gets denied, though, you go blue. Right, for sure. And it's not, you don't want to have blue balls. We don't want to have a code blue balls because th- then everything's off the rails. I mean, what I would like to see in some future... Uh, BCU films is maybe a situation where cock and balls get separated, where balls gets cut off from cock. And then we have to see that their own resilience on their own. Then when they can come back together. Yeah. Well, we'll have to see where they kind of go with the, uh, you know, with this cinematic universe, but I can tell you bunk bunkers, Andy and I've been on so many different sets before. Right. Um, Real pros. And this was really pro set. I mean, they had some really high end gear. They had like a Sony um, handheld camera camcorder, and it was really cool. And it had like the ability to zoom up to like 8x. Right. That's that's how you know it's kind of like some some, like real deal Hollywood stuff. They spent some money on this. This And they had like a real deal production. They had like a 500 megabyte, like, like, you know, spare. SD card, so like, yeah. Okay, they weren't they were sparing no expense. Like it's right. five hundred megabytes. They like, had an extra battery for the camera. They too, had an so. extra battery charging. We did not have to pause when on the, the side. Ba- battery ran out. And you know the great thing about it is that this is all one camera. The whole movie is one continuous shot, and it really gets us. It really allowed us to show our acting chops because <laughs> that's not easy to do one continuous shot for an entire feature length film. <laughs> We did our own stunts. We did our own stunts. We brought our own costumes. Right. We did our own hair and makeup, which is like, you know, pretty avant-garde. Yeah. But I, very professional. I like a lot of the choices that the production made because mm-hmm. it, it it adds this authenticity to the film that I feel like so many of the Marvel movies, they just feel like big budget Hollywood productions. There's no heart. There's no soul. It just feels like something that's designed to make money and you don't really learn a lesson. You don't really feel anything. Mm-hmm. Well, trust me when cock and balls come at your face in <laughs> the movie theater, something. you're going to feel something. <laughs> oh man. And, but you know, it was great shooting. Um, it was, it was just awesome shooting all day with famed director Ridley Scott and uh, they did. They did have Ridley Scott on there. At least I'm pretty sure. I don't know what Ridley Scott looks like. I've never. Met, but you know, to me, Ridley Scott looks a lot like a beefy old man. 
Yeah. With big beefy arms and he like loved cheeseburgers and he, you know, he was smoking a ton of just cigarette after cig- chain smoking cigarettes. I think and that's I just, a well-known thing about Ridley Scott is he's yeah. a chain smoker. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and it, it was going great. I mean, we were doing great scenes. Um, you know, it, it was just really going well. But, you know, here's the thing. It, the set was compromised. And this is like, to all of the Hollywood A-listers who listen to this show, we know that you're out there. Right, Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg. You know, there's nothing worse than a Hollywood set and the paparazzo and like being compromised on set. Because like, that's our fucking space dude that's our space for creativity man that's where we fucking create art that you people enjoy that people need dude we can't safe space and you guys are fucking infiltrating it taking candid shots of andy and i dressed as cock and balls so you could what post it on tmz's come on we can't be at our creative best if we feel like somebody's looking over our shoulders yeah judging us because, look, in the creative process, I'll be honest with you, beefers, yeah. there are a lot of failures. There are. That's the stuff that gets left on the cutting room floor. You don't see that shit, dude. But and trust us, this is a real Hollywood production. I heard that the editor has, like, fucking iMovie, dude. Yeah. He has a copy of iMovie. It's pirated, but he, he's got it, and he can use it. <laughs> like, this is... All those sick transitions. This is, I mean, we're talking... Star wipes, <laughs> fades in and out. I mean, this. You look. We saw a very rough, rough draft, right, of the edit. And right, it's I'm super. You, it's very cool. Knocked my socks off. Yeah, I still don't know where my socks are. Yeah, I haven't found. I haven't seen those socks. They're gone because yeah. they got knocked completely off because right. of how your little your little fucking Monopoly Man socks. Yeah, I had Uncle Pennybags socks because is that his name? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Because he's got he's he's got a monocle, he's got a top hat, he's got stacks of cash, he's everything I want to be. Yeah. Well, with everything we would have been if this set wasn't compromised. So but the set was compromised, you know, unfortunately. We're sitting there delivering kind of some of those final lines of the movie. Mm-hmm. You know. Real emotional high point. The taint. You've been jerking me around, me and balls around for too long. One of the pivotal lines. Yeah. And then you were like, yeah, I'm the balls. I don't, I'm not very tickled by this. The taint. Also, my character has a lot of extra body hair. It's like sort of like a werewolf type thing. Yeah. But it's like sporadic and curly. Sporadic and curly. Yeah. Crazy. Wiry. Wiry. Yeah. Very wiry. Like a wire. Steel wool. And so we're delivering those final lines and we're looking into the camera and like, you know, as actors, you're supposed to really play to the camera. Look the, deep within that camera lens. Right. Especially on a, like a movie that's only got one camera. Like if you. You always want to be staring right you, into it. You, everybody has to be staring at the camera <laughs> because otherwise the audience doesn't get it. Right. Right. It's and, like if we had multiple cameras, multiple setups, like sure. You can you don't have to look at the camera because they're, it's people overkill. are going you to find you. But like with one camera, yeah, you got to look right at it the whole time. And what did you know? It it almost felt like somebody was reaching out through the camera, like a hand was reaching out through the camera and it grabbed both of us by the collar and sucked us right into that camera. Yeah. And I thought, oh my God, dude, like, wow, the special effects in this movie. What a twist. 
Yeah, I they did one was... of these things where they they gave us the wrong script and they did a big old twist. But um, but no, it turns out in the end, um, Cameron was Mister Bunker, and <laughs> we got sucked into a camera. And this is really fucking disappointing because I thought this was going to be some kind of like Who Framed Roger Rabbit deal where we got taken into Cartoon Land. But instead, we ended up back here at the goddamn bunker. Yeah. Now we're never going to be Roger Rabbited. All I've ever wanted in my life is to be Roger Rabbited. God, what I would give to just stand next to Jessica Rabbit. Right. Imagine the smell. That's all I have to say. There's somebody who gets their ass eaten by a rabbit. (laughs) And that's how it goes, right? Circle all the way back to Bugs Bunny eating ass. Right, back to Bugs Bunny eating ass. So, Bugs Bunkers. Yeah. That's how we got fucking captured That's how this we week. ended up here today. Fucking but bullshit, dude. I, I hope mean, that movie gets released soon. Yeah, keep a lookout for that at your local theaters because that's going to be one that's going to touch you in ways you never wanted to be touched, but in ways you didn't know you needed to be touched. Right. Um, but if we're here in the bunker, I mean, we might as well do some fucking bunking around uh, and let's fucking do a bunker alarm. Let's do it. Because we got a new patron for this show. Patreone. To say thank you to. Yeah, baby. So let's join together right now, right at the top, and say thank you to our newest patron, Lucas Duvall. Lucas Duvall. Lucas, thank you so much for becoming a patron of this show. You're one of the few, the proud, the brave, who also could have stopped 9-11. And you proved it by going to patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bunker Pod. So thank you, Lucas. We're glad you're here. And in your honor... Yeah. We're going to do the same thing we do for everybody that becomes a patron of this show, yep. which is ringy-ding-ding, the old Bunker bunk tech bunker ding, Alarm ding, 3000. Ding, 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 ding. So what this machine is, is it's a highly sophisticated piece of future tech. Future tech. That, once activated, can play a perfectly synced alarm in your yeah. honor. So I'm going to just go ahead and fire it up here. Click. Fire it up. Click. Fire click, it up. Click. Bump, 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 bump. Ooh, look at that. <laughs> Whoa. Um, and he's moving th- Little fucking sliding things right. Whoa. You're cutting. What are you cutting? You're cutting stuff, Andy. What are you doing? Oh my God. He's like, whoa. I don't even know how that moved. Um, <laughs> okay. She's working. You got to ring the whistle because it puts out a lot of exhaust. If somebody were standing behind this, they could die. So, Lucas, we're going to look for an alarm here for you. Um, let me see. What type of interface device should I use? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking trackball. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Andy is scrolling. <laughs> I get the trackball that sounds like a man when you touch it. Yeah. <laughs> I love those room sounds that trackballs frequently make. All right, Lucas, we're going to do a little countdown. Andy scrolled through that spreadsheet so fast. I know what I want. I'm a man of action. Didn't even need a V lookup. Forget that. Didn't even need an H lookup, V lookup. If and some, some body once told me. Wow. The Lucas, we're going to do a little bit of countdown here, and then you're going to get your personalized bunk tech bunker alarm 3000 shout out for being a patron of the show. Here we go. Good for you, dude. Good for you. Probably a crowning achievement of your life. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So here we go. In three. And one. Wow. Kind of had like a regular show theme song at the end there. That was neat. Yeah, this is a real... I love that. Well, and you know what? I know that... Um, Lucas appreciates that. He loves cartoons. He loves Looney Tunes. He does. Um, so, Lucas, thank you so much. Thank you, Lucas. For being a patron of the show. I hope you enjoyed your bunker alarm. And, hey. Good for you. I hope you enjoy. Uh... <laughs> I'm going to start saying that. <laughs> Good for you guys. And, hey, I hope you enjoy today's Congrats. episode, which we're going to jump into right now. Oh, my God. Oh, geez. Get ready, Art. Put your I'm pants back on. Put your pants back oh, on. Fuck. Uh, we're going to jump into right now, which is Bohemian Grove here on Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. Bohemian, I have the power! Oh, when the sun comes up on a sleepy little camp down around Monterio, <laughs> and the folks are rising for another day round about their booze, the people of the town are rich. And they're way powerful too. Well, you're talking about Bohemian, Bohemian Grove. Whoa, whoa. whoa Bohemian Grove. That's right, Beefers. Thank that you to good. the Doobie Brothers. Yeah. We're talking about Bohemian Grove Smoking today. A couple of big old dudes. Special this shout out to Dom on Instagram for suggesting this episode today. Wow. Thank you, Dom. Look, Bohemian Grove, okay? We got the elites of the world out in the woods partying for two weeks every summer. But it's secretive as fuck. It is so secretive. And I got to say, some people are not too happy about that. No, some people don't like it. We're diving into the whole enchilada on this buttoned up while still being casual topic. So what is the Bohemian Grove, huh? Let's get a few things fucking straight right off the bat here, okay? The Bohemian Grove is part of a... National Park and Redwood Trees are not part of the globalist conspiracy, okay? Stop implicating the trees, everybody. These trees are innocent. I mean, honestly, what the fuck do you people have against Redwood Trees? What the fuck did Redwood Trees ever do to you? If you're out there saying Redwood Trees pull the strings of world power, please, for the love of God, shut the fuck up. The Bohemian Club is the real conspiracy note here. Yeah. Leave the trees alone. Leave the grove I am alone. the Lorax. I speak for the trees. You are a Lorax type. Yeah. <laughs> you just need a big old mustache. If I had a big mustache, literally there would be no difference between me and the <laughs> Lorax. Yeah. Except caring about the environment. <laughs> yeah, you 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 frequently chop down cherry trees. I do you it. Chop down trees all the time. I, I've often said the only way to prove that I'm not lying is to chop down a tree. Because of that story where George Washington had to prove he wasn't a liar by deforesting the entire eastern seaboard. <laughs> Now, classic. <laughs> according to the USA's National Park Service, quote, 
Bohemian Grove is a lovely section of John Muir Woods that provides opportunities to learn more about the health and ecology of the redwoods. You can see burned redwoods that survived a long ago fire, redwood burls, and a nurse log. End quote. Bohemian Grove is in Northern California's Sonoma County, situated along the Russian River, uh, near a small town, a couple of small towns, one called Monte Rio uh-huh. and one called Occidental. It's most closer to Monte Rio. Occidental? Occidental. Wow. Yeah. I accidentally. I accidentally uh, spelled accidentally wrong. <laughs> uh, Bohemian Grove was Bohemian Grove was named after the Bohemian Club because it hosts the club's annual summer retreat. The Bohemian Club is an elite invitation-only social club founded in San Francisco on May 17, 1872 by a group of male... Male only artists, writers, actors, lawyers, and journalists who were interested in the arts and culture. What year? This was 1872. Wow, great. Year. Um, so these are these are in a way like the nouveau riche of San Francisco. Ooh, the nouveau riche. Um, you know, San Francisco is <laughs> experiencing a boom period at this time. Boom, boom. Uh, the famous gold rush of 1849 had passed. And I heard of that football team. San Francisco, yeah, the San Francisco 49ers. Um, so the, the the area was being built up, but it still had a lot of like old west mining town qualities. Yeah. So these were some of the more cultured folks who had come uh the, the railroad, the transcontinental some railroad. Some of them big city folks some over there from New York, York City. Literally, because the transcontinental railroad had just been Railroad. Com- railroad had just <laughs> Oh geez. Ray gets his own railroad. <laughs> What is Robert loves railroad, not me. There's nothing named after me. <laughs> Railroad's brother. Oh, hi, Brad Garrett. But the 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 uh, transcontinental railroad had been recently completed. So these are some cultured folk. Right, people were moving out west. They mm-hmm. were. It was um yeah they were this was westward expansion. This is Red Dead Redemption. Right, they were feeling the need to connect with people of similar culture backgrounds to themselves. So, um, according, again, to the U.S. National Park Service, quote, the Bohemian Club was formed by newspapermen, artists, actors, and musicians in San Francisco in 1872. They were a group of guys with a different perspective than most who liked flaunting it in each other's company, end quote. (laughs) Which is a description that's really not open to any sort of interpretation at all. I think it's pretty clear what the U.S. National Park Service is trying to say there. Yeah. Uh, So, the term bohemian, wanting it in each other's company. (laughs) Oh, my God. The term bohemian was meant to conjure the cultured, intellectual, urban bohemian. Mm. So uh, here's what. Wine and beer. Right. Exactly. Here's what the club's website says about itself. Quote, the Bohemian Club is a private association whose members shall consist of gentlemen who are connected professionally with literature, art, music or the drama. And also those gentlemen who, by reason of their demonstrated love or appreciation of these objects, their temperament, intellect, and their commitment to participate in club activities make them worthy companions in artistic fellowship, end quote. So uh, it's basically like people who are professionally involved in entertainment. The arts, yeah. The arts, and people who are patrons of entertainment and the arts. So literature, art, music, and drama are known by the club as the four pillars. Um, And in its early days, the club also encouraged interest in what it calls the sciences, uh, which 
is a tradition the club says continues to this day, despite the fact that they don't mention the sciences except to say that they used to care about it and still do. So, I mean, make of that weird way of phrasing it, Bohemian Club, but uh, make of that what you will, Beavers. I like it. Um, Fucking eggheads, you know, that all that shit that they do. Right. Yeah, we, that stuff's cool. We're into that. We We're like into it. that, too. So, um, <laughs> the club chose an owl as its totem um, because the owl is wise, nocturnal, and discreet. Yeah, I don't like it. Uh, and shout out right here to our beloved bunk funker and proud patron, Mr. Bugout, the biggest owl fan I know. <laughs> he really loves owls. <laughs> like, a lot. So shout out to Mr. Bugout. <laughs> yeah, shout out Mr. Bugout. Uh, the, the Bohemian Club gathered regularly to socialize, to drink alcohol, Wink. and to put on and enjoy theatrical and musical performances. Uh, these are all a these are all key components of life in the Bohemian Club, socializing with each other, drinking, and also creating and producing original theatrical productions. Sounds like a lot like uh, they were just improvisers. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> honestly. Looking like uh, an improv festival or something. So for some more like uh, brick and mortar stuff, the, the Bohemian Club had temporary locations until it finally established a permanent headquarters in early 1930s on Taylor Street in downtown San Francisco. And uh, this is an important thing, um, so I'm going to reiterate the club has regular meetings through the year at the clubhouse, which is in in San Francisco, in the city. Wow. Um, and the activities that happen at Bohemian Grove is basically like their annual summer retreat. Right. So, like the club, the club puts this on, but not everything that happens at the Bohemian Club also happens at the Grove. So the club is in San Fran again. Uh, it's also called the City Club, um, and it has dining rooms, a library, an art gallery. Uh, a large theater, costume, it's scenery shops, and social rooms. It's got a lot of stuff. Uh, in fall, winter, and spring, the City Club's uh, primary activities are weekly productions written and produced and performed almost entirely by members. Um, and that includes a wide variety of theatrical and musical presentations. Like, they might put on, they might have a jazz band performance. Ooh. They might do a musical comedy. Ooh. They might do a play. Like you're they, in town. You're in town. They do. Yeah, when you're in town, you can go and see one if you remember. Um, but they they do all kinds of different stuff. So um, the club holds monthly art exhibitions, a classical musical recitals, lectures, and readings of the works of well-known and emerging authors. There also are, are many scheduled performances and some spontaneous by soloists and smaller musical groups. Uh, there's book discussion groups. They have science and health presentations and art and photo exhibits. Just run like dorks. Mm -hmm. Well, Sound like a couple of dorks. Uh, we'll see the full extent of the dorkery. So, um, members who are musically inclined um, can participate in a 90 piece symphony orchestra. Jesus. A 75 piece concert band. Oh my God. A 140 voice chorus. I didn't even know there's that many instruments. An 18 piece jazz band and other smaller musical and vocal groups. Wow. So, they have like this is a lot of members, right? And they 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 maintain these groups. So like this is their ninety piece symphony orchestra. It's all secret. Well, kind of, yeah. Kind like of. the member lists are secret, but obviously it's a lot of people. So, I mean, how big a secret is it? This is on their website. Mm -hmm. So, um, since its founding, the club has expanded today around twenty six or twenty seven hundred members, um, which include politicians and affluent businessmen. 
Though, lest you think the club has only recently included the elite in society, uh, the club was always considered a part of the high society circles in San Francisco. As one well-to-do founding member put it in his memoirs, quote, it was apparent that the possession of talent without money would not support the club, end quote. So they decided to get some rich dudes to join, a trend that continues to this day. So basically it's artists trying to make art, but they don't have any money. So they invited a bunch of like wealthy business people right. to join the club to finance all of the artistic stuff. They should just start a Patreon. <laughs> yeah. This would not exist. Why did they have to work that hard? This would not exist if it was founded like today. <laughs> uh, so notable members over the years have included Clint Eastwood, Henry Kissinger, Walter Cronkite, Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan, Charles Schwab, Ambrose Bierce, Bret Hart, Mark Twain, and Jack London. Bret Hart the wrestler? No, Bret Hart the writer. Oh. Hart with an E. Which was the wrestler. So according to the club, club membership is composed of professionals and semi-professionals in the arts, uh, which I guess- What is the difference? When do you cross over? I don't know. What are we? Are we professionals in the arts or semi-professionals? God, no. <laughs> I think we're uh, pretenders. <laughs> so uh, as well as individuals with purely avocational interests. So no, no, uh, no connection to the arts necessarily. Mm. All members are strongly encouraged to participate in the activities of the club, either as a writer, a chorus member, a stagehand, or a participant. Uh, I mean, goddamn, they are really fucking serious about putting on these shows. Yeah. So in the in the 21st century, the Bohemian Club has continued to maintain a reputation for being a highly exclusive club with predominantly white membership uh, composed of what's sort of like shaken out to be the richest and politically conservative, most politically conservative people in the United States, right. um, which we'll talk a little bit about this history. So despite this reputation, the club itself says it has no restrictions as to race, religion, national ancestry, sexual orientation, or physical handicap. So aside from talent, interest, or the uh, desire to be a patron of the arts, the only requirement for membership is that applicants must be male. Hmm and at least 21 years of age. Um, the club also describes itself as strictly nonpartisan, so not favoring one political philosophy over any other. Um, a potential member, a little bit about membership, a potential member must be nominated by at least two regular members of the club, which will vouch for his character and describe the qualities that will make him a quote-unquote good bohemian. Wow. Uh, then there's a big, long interview process where you got to fill out paperwork. Everybody's got to fill out these forms. There's a membership committee that's wow. got to, that was, that will get letters of recommendation and solicits opinions about the prospective new member before the committee finally votes. If the member can join the waiting list, that's right. Wow. You get approved to get on the waiting list to become a member. Eventually there's a lot of different information out there about how long the waiting list is. Some people say it's decades long that you could wait if you're not if you're not approved to be a member by the time you're 30, you won't get to be a member before you die is what some people say. Oh my god. Um but you know other people say it's like more like it's like more like a 10-year waiting period. Um of course, if you're going to write or perform in the club's production, so like if you're an art a working artist, you can get on the membership fast track. Uh so you get in right away. Um also so we could get in. Also, something to note, it's expensive to join. Oh. Uh, the membership fee, there's various quotes out there, so I don't know that it's solidly this number, but the thing, the most recent thing I've heard is $25,000. 
it costs to become a member. And then get ready to join our new Patreon tier, the Bohemian Grove tier, the Bunk Club, the Bunk Club tier (laughs) for one one time twenty five thousand dollars plus like, I don't know, like eight hundred dollars a year or something that you pay in membership dues. Um, It's it's expensive to be a member of this club. And if you go to the encampment, that's like an extra couple thousand dollars that you pay Mm -hmm. in fees to go out there. Um, So it's, it's quite expensive being a member of the Bohemian Club. So uh, in addition to um, the artistic endeavors undertaken by the club, um, the club also frequently uh, does sort of charitable work. They assist schools, museums, and community organizations and causes in San Francisco and Sonoma County. County. Sonoma. Sonoma County. Sonoma County. Out there in Sonoma, Sonoma County. County up there. Out there in wine control. I took the railroad out there to Sonoma County. Yeah. And uh, I uh, saw one of the Bohemian Club shows. Very good. <laughs> Not very good. Non-believable Titus Andronicus. I didn't believe the misery wasn't a true tragedy. I tell you what, I've seen theater all over this this earth, and that was an amateur production at best. That Hamlet, he did not embody that character enough. I'll tell you what, the one main thing about Hamlet is the inner conflict of the main character. <laughs> and you know, when I see this thing, I feel like, yeah, this this actor. Right. Is going through the paces. He's hitting the marks, I suppose. But you can tell emotionally he ain't invested in the character he of Hamlet. Didn't do the prep work beforehand to truly emotionally present himself and be ready in that scene. Because Philia. Yeah. 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 You said it, brother. <laughs> you said it, brother. Anyway, let's go back to mining for gold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Woohoo! So they support organiza- community organizations and causes in San Francisco proper and sure. in Sonoma County, right, right. Um, either directly or through member-supported donate foundation donations dedicated to those specific tasks. So the club directly supports um, area fire management, which is obviously a big topic um they make sure that wild oh. they make sure that wildfires continue to happen in california right and that they rage out of control every year the the bohemian club is directly <laughs> involved in that <laughs> no it's like you know fire prevention it's like proper forestry and all that type of well, stuff well forest fires is proper forestry right right but like it's a controlled forest fire is good for right. a forest right but, but but you know right. the forests aren't necessarily managed in a way that are conducive to a controlled forest fire right 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 so they support those kind of efforts. Uh, the El Molino High School Wine Program. Elmo? Yeah, it's called Elmo. El Molina. Oh. El Molino, but they do call it Elmo. <laughs> nice. Um, the High School Wine Program, which I don't know why they would have a wine program at high school, but local providers of food and products in Sonoma County. Because, um, you know, Sonoma County is really a hard scrabble area. Um, not a lot of wealth in Sonoma County. That's like. Uh, that's like wine country. Right? right, right. It's a bunch of poor Napa Valley. Vin- poor vintners just struggling to make it <laughs> yeah. out there in Sonoma County. So they need all the help they can get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And they provide employment uh, for many year-round construction projects. Mm. Um, they actually employ hundreds of people, the club does, Whoa. between the Grove and their, you know, because they, they have to hire things like carpenters to build their sets and all this stuff. So they have a lot of people that work for them. Service. Um, at right, the, right. for the the dinners that are held at the club on Thursday nights, and they serve lunch through the week, catering, uh, and then also at the Grove. So they they employ a lot of people at different points through the year. And uh, every year, the club puts on a variety show at the Monte Rio Amphitheater, which includes some of the club's famous members. Uh, proceeds from that show benefit 
local fire services, schools, and a Catholic church in the area. Uh, I believe the most recent variety show was uh, headlined by Jimmy Buffett and uh, Conan O'Brien. So there you go. Wow. Um, <clears throat> now, let's talk about Cheese this. Cheeseburger in paradise. Cheeseburger. <laughs> I like mine with lettuce and tomato. Heinz 57 and French fried potatoes. Wow. Big kosher pickle and a cold draft beer. Well, good God almighty, which way do I steer to my Bohemian Grove summer <laughs> encampment retreat? <clears throat> so let's talk about the summer retreat, shall we? <laughs> the annual trip to Sonoma began in the summer of 1878, six years after the club was founded. At first, it was only about 100 members of the club that made the trek up there. Um, and so, while it sounds totally awesome to head to the woods with your bros and put on some theatrical productions, the summer retreat has earned a reputation for a variety of suspicious activities and rituals. Wow. So, the site for the club's retreat covers approximately 2,700 acres, and it has become increasingly inaccessible, which lends further mystery to the events and their participants. So, initially, they only initially they didn't own any of the land. The club just visited and camped. Right. Um, there was some danger of development through the years. And so they started buying parts of the property <clears throat> and it's ballooned into this 2,700 acres that they own today. So um, the, the Grove, the Bohemian Grove includes club main quote. This is from their website, club maintained buildings, common outdoor theatrical and dining venues, member maintained camp structures, roads and trails meandering through magnificent stands of virgin redwood trees and other native hardwoods. Wink. I added. I added the wink. They didn't have that on the website. They should add it though. Uh, and access to the Russian River. End quote. In addition to the club uh, maintained structures, there are more than a hundred separate and distinct camps, which have been developed and are maintained by groups of members of the Bohemian Club. So these camps, these camps vary in size. Some are like three people. Uh, there's one camp that's more than a hundred people. Um, the average size is about 15 members in mm. one camp. Um, and when you talk about camp, there are like these little separated areas and the members just maintain these different areas. And so they have little different features. You know, there are some nice camps. There are some not as nice camps. So the nicer camps have like cabins maybe, Ooh. whereas some are just like tents or teepees or whatever. Right. So um, each camp has a character of its own and uh, faci- and the facilities range from camps with tents or cots for sleeping bags to camps with cabins and kitchens. I guess like I Yogi know. Bear and shit. You said a character of its own. No, like they like Yogi. Like, hey, we're Yogi Bear Camp. No, it's like each camp, and this will come up more later on. But each camp is kind of known for a specific thing, or it has a specific aesthetic okay. that they that the members go for. Right. And it gets lamer by the minute. And yeah, and it's I mean seriously, and it's very like. Because they've been going there for years and years and years. It's like, oh, one time this one thing happened. So this became the whole part of it. And now that's the, like, I'm spoiling a little bit here, but. Yogi Bear Camp. <laughs> as far as I know, there's is no. Is there Yogi Bear or not? I don't think Just there's. Yo- the I, don't, I think the answer is no. Oh, fuck this. <laughs> but like, okay. <laughs> there are some, there are some famous camps because of the people that camp there. Yeah, some famous person went there. They did some crazy, goofy thing, and then now that's what it's known as. So one of the famous camps is Caveman Camp. Wow. And it's famous because... Captain Caveman. Because it was... Yeah. 
there's a lot of other Hanna Barbera <laughs> character named camps, but not Yogi Bear. Fuck. But no, there's Caveman Camp, and apparently, uh, well, Caveman Camp was became famous because it was um, former President Herbert Hoover's camp. Oh, and so it became like this known for being the political hotbed, like the ultra conservative, right, like hotbed camp of the Grove. And they called it Caveman Camp because there was a caveman statue in one of the the productions that they put on at the Grove one year. And I don't know. I guess they liked the statue. So yeah. they could start calling it Caveman Camp. So it's, it's stupid stuff like that. Right. Um, so um, these camps are varied in their amenities. But um, UC Santa Cruz professor G. William Domhoff, who wrote a 1974 book called The Bohemian Grove and Other Retreats, A Study in Ruling Class Cohesiveness, says he knows a former Bohemian club member who told of a camp at the Grove called Poison Oak, quote, that served a lunch called Bull's Balls Lunch, where everyone came by to eat roasted cattle, cattle testicles brought by a rancher from near Fresno, end quote. The informant also said another camp had a softcore por- pornography collection. Oh, yeah. Hubba. And so some of the clubs are known because they have like, they make some special drink. Like there's one, there's one camp that makes gin fizzes every morning. And so... People go over there to have breakfast because they're serving gin fizzes in the morning or there's like some place that they've got like a huge like, yeah. like, I don't know, drink maker. Right. Yeah. So it's, I mean, stuff like that. Oh, yeah. So the 16 day encampment, as it is called, involves, among other things, concerts, theater, informal lectures called lakeside talks, parties, shooting contests, art exhibits, swimming, boating, and casual networking. It's also believed that things happen at the encampment like government policy review all happening outside of public view public can't get any information about it right so the club says that the summer retreat or other even other club activities are a refuge from decision making and other and other pressures they also say conducting business during club functions is prohibited and to support this they cite their motto which is weaving spiders come not here uh, which is meant to convey the club's character and purpose as a social rather than a vocational organization. Right. Uh, Weaving Spiders Come Not Here is, of course, from uh, a Shakespeare play. I think A Midsummer's Night Dream. Classic. Uh, so the Puck. club. Huh? Puck. Puck. The character. But you called that... me a cuck. I am calling you a cuck. <laughs> you puck the cuck. Thank you. Uh, so the club says. That the summer retreat consists of, of four pillars focused events. So, again, that's like art, theater, drama, music, uh, yeah. which are the culmination of the creative and production process undertake, undertaken at the city club during the year. So, what I'm saying is, I guess the city club stuff is like a dress rehearsal for the big show out in the woods during the summer. Uh, and we're going to talk about this. They really do spend like all year preparing for the stuff that they do at the Grove during the summer. So the encampment program uh, includes more than 100 entertainment events produced and performed by members, including concerts by the club's symphony orchestra, concert band, jazz orchestra, and chorus, theatrical performances, both dramatic and musical. They do recitals, readings, lectures, art exhibits, and outdoor pursuits, again, as things like swimming, canoeing, hiking, trap, and skeet shooting, and nature studies. There's a lot of stuff going on here. Skeet shootings. There's some skeet shooting going on at this club. I'm going to tell you that much. Uh, And according to the club, the... Uh, the centerpieces of the encampment are three major musical theater productions, the create cremation of care, the low jinx 
and the hijinks, also known as the Grove Play. So the Cremation of Care is a now-considered traditional musical drama uh, celebrating members' brief but welcome midsummer escape from life's cares. Uh, The Cremation of Care was first performed in 1880, and it now marks the first Saturday night of the annual encampment. Uh, The ceremony begins after dinner while all the gathered members are still seated in the open-air dining circle. Funerary music begins to play from a nearby hillside. Men wearing colorful hoods and robes approach the dining circle, some playing the dirge, others carrying torches, and still others carrying an open coffin where inside rests the body of Mr. Dull Care. Mr. Dull Care is a wooden skeleton wrapped in black muslin and allegedly soaked in gasoline. As Mr. Dull Care's funeral procession moves past the dining circle, members rise and follow behind as the whole group marches to the shores of a lake where sits a 30 to 40 foot tall altar in the shape of an owl. The fuck? While most members observe from afar, the robed men take the coffin to a boat landing where Mr. Dull Care is loaded onto the Ferry of Care. The robed men put out their torches and the only light comes from the Lamp of Fellowship at the base of the owl altar. Soon a woodland chorus begins to sing and a tree spirit, a hamadryad, pops out of a redwood tree next to the altar. The tree spirit sings a song about how great the trees are and how everybody should get rid of their concerns and party in the trees. (laughs) After the song, the tree spirit goes back into the redwood and the high priest and his entourage take the stage. The high priest makes a few speeches and heads to the edge of the lake. The chorus then sings a song after which the high priest declares, quote, our funeral pyre awaits the corpse of care. There's a horn blast. And the boat at the boat landing and the ferry of care makes its way short way to where the high priest waits and Mr. Dull care and his coffin are placed on the altar. But before dull care can be burned care itself begins laughing and mocking the group for trying to destroy care as they do every year yet still have cares in the end. It's something like you burn me here every year. But when you go back to the marketplace, do I not reappear there once again? Something like that. Um, the high priest retorts that the group knows that cares will return, but they are glad to get rid of them for a short time during the encampment. But care fights back, blowing out all of the torches meant to set him ablaze. The high priest does the only thing he can do at this critical moment, beseeches the great owl for its wisdom. As triumphant music plays, the great owl tells the assemblage that care cannot be defeated by fire fed by hatred. The only fire that can burn care is the fire from the lamp of fellowship. (laughs) The high priest then springs into action and grabs one of the extinguished torches, relighting it on the lamp of fellowship, and then quickly setting the funeral pyre ablaze. The music swells as the chorus sings a song, crescendoing into a fireworks display. The whole thing takes almost an hour. Man, what a bunch of fucking dorks. (laughs) Yeah, this is coming from a guy who watches videos on like, the lore behind Faerun, and I'm like, this is fucking lame. <laughs> fucking dorks. <clears throat> Jesus Christ. By the way, I think for most of the 90s, the voice of the owl was Walter Cronkite. Okay. So, I, yeah, he's not really a reference that I Oh, okay. I get. Well, you older beefers will right. get it. <clears throat> I mean, I know Walter Cronkite is a famous newsman. Yeah. But, um, like, I've never watched him. So... Have you, Andy just went and ignored me. <laughs> have you ever seen Anchorman, the story of Ron Burgundy? Sure. You know, he narrates that whole fucking movie. 
Oh, I didn't know it was him. Jesus Christ. So anyway, um, that's that's the cremation of care. There's also the low jinx, uh, which is an original musical comedy. Um, and we're going to talk about the high jinx, which is an original theatrical production. There's a slight difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, any type of organized entertainment at the encampment is called a jinx. And there are two big jinx during each summer's getaway, the high jinx and the low jinx. Uh, they're punny names, and the word jinx was selected by early members who were looking for traditions they could adopt from literary and entertainment sources from places other than their late 1800s, early 1900s USA. So jinx is apparently a Scottish word, which means a frolic, Ooh. Uh, but could also mean an alcohol bender. Um, wow. I- Hijinks also appeared in the Sir Walter Scott novel Guy Mannering as an elevated affair where drinking was not the primary purpose. Um, in case it's not clear yet, boozing it up is a big feature of the encampments. Uh, so the hijinks are a grandiose, operetta-like extravaganza written and produced by club members for a one-time-only presentation in the Grove, which happens on the Friday night of the final weekend each summer. The hijinks is the biggest formal event at the Grove each year. A lot of the hijinks have fantasy or mythical themes, but some have featured historical content. Uh, unlike some other entertainment at the encampment, the hijinks is a serious formal event, um, basically a night at the legitimate theater, but in the middle of a redwood forest. Um, they spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on these productions every year. They build original set pieces, original costumes, and all this stuff um, just to put on a one, one-time only show. Um, interestingly, even though the hijinks is original every year, one Catholic priest has been the subject of two hijinks. The priest is the patron saint of Bohemia, St. John of Nepomuk, the actual patron saint of Bohemia, who lived in the real Bohemia, a St. John. I was right. You were right. This does feature a real Bohemian. This is Bohemia. Right. St. John became court confessor to the king of Bohemia, who St. John had been a confidant of since the king's youth. King Tom. I don't remember. I don't know his name. King Tommy. Yeah. King Tom of Bohemia. King... King Eddie of Bohemia. King Ralph. That was that John Goodman movie. Uh, so when the Queen of Bohemia started having an affair, oh. the king asked St. John to reveal the Queen's confessions to find out who her lover was. St. John refused. So in a fit of rage, the king had him drowned in the river. When the hijinks about St. John of Napomuk premiered at the Grove in 1882, one of the attendees just happened to be Count... Joseph Oswald von Thun of Czechoslovakia, who was so moved by the club's appreciation of St. John that he ordered a wooden statue of the priest, a replica of the one that stands at the site where he was drowned in Prague, uh, complete with an index finger sealing his lips. Uh, He had this statue made and sent to the club. Every year, the club carefully transports St. John from the clubhouse to the Grove, where he reminds campers of the virtues of keeping secrets secret. Ooh. As a balance to the hijinks, there's the low jinx, which again is an original musical comedy. It's much less formal than the hijinks and has a lot more frat house humor. So our audience oh, probably Oh, wow. Would, so we would fit in. Our audience probably would not enjoy it because they hate frat house chatter. Uh, I, I heard... Uh, <laughs> we would so fit in. I heard the it's low jinx... It's sad, dude. The low jinx is a lot of like dick jokes <laughs> yeah. and really misogynistic jokes, <laughs> apparently. Um... 
And somebody, okay. I, I think it was Harry Shearer in something I was watching described it as like, well, oh well, they can't make, they have like a couple of black members, so they can't make fun of black people. Right. Um, and, you know, Harry Shearer got an invite one year and he said he was probably invited to Jew the place up a little bit. So it didn't look so discriminatory. <laughs> so they do have some Jewish members too. So they don't make a lot of jokes about Jews. Um, but apparently like since women aren't allowed, um, women are fair game. And apparently like, there's not a lot of Hispanic or Latino people yeah. that are members. So they get a, a lot of the jokes too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I heard it described somewhere. I read it described somewhere else as like 1950s frat house humor. So classic. Yeah. So um, beyond these events, there are also little Friday night and big Saturday night where professional entertainment, not drawn from the club ranks performs for the encampment. The club arranges for famous entertainers to perform at the camp for free uh, because it's such an honor to perform for such a prestigious audience. And apparently, if you're an entertainer and they ask you to perform there and you ask to get paid, you're not allowed to perform anymore. Wow. <laughs> you get uninvited if you ask for payment. Um, I mentioned Lakeside Talks earlier, and they bear a little additional information, I think. So during the encampment, every day at 1230 p.m., campers can gather by the lake near where the cremation of care happens to hear presentations by a wide variety of different people, people in government, the arts, the sciences. You get the idea. Politicians apparently find the Lakeside Talks especially attractive. The purpose of the Lakeside Talks is to for the person to brief the audience on a current topic that they have an expertise in. It's a TED Talk. Right. It's a TED Talk, basically. So um, politicians think this is really useful because, quote unquote, giving a lakeside gives them an op- a means for personal exposure without officially violating the injunction, weaving spiders come not here. Uh, after all, bohemians rationalize a lakeside talk is merely an informal chat by a friend of the family. So even though they can come and talk to you about current policy objectives that maybe the people in the crowd can help advance. It's not technically doing business because it's just an informal chit chat by the lakeside. So in his memoirs, art's favorite president, Richard Nixon remarked that Dwight Eisenhower. I remember when I voted for him. Yeah. I was alive back then. Yeah. You've, you voted for him. Are we co-opting that bit for me now too? You voted for him every election since too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's dead art. He can't can't get elected anymore. That's what you think. He lives on in spirit. Oh, wow. That's true. Suck it to me. So uh, in his memoirs, Art's favorite president, Richard Nixon, remarked mm-hmm. that Dwight Eisenhower came to the Grove one summer before he was elected president. Um, so I think this was in like 1950, maybe, or 1953. I, I don't know the exact year, but um, uh, before he was elected president, Nixon was a member of the club, but Eisenhower was a guest of a longtime club member, former U.S. president, Herbert Hoover, who we already mentioned. Herbie. Herbie Fully uh, Loaded is what they called him. Huh? Herbie Fully Loaded? Yeah, he was Fully Loaded because he had so much cum. Herbert Hoover did. <laughs> just known for having excessive known cum. Known for cum. Known for just blasting ropes everywhere he went. So, um, <laughs> apparently, Ike gave a lakeside talk and his personality impressed the folks at Hoover's caveman camp, even though they preferred, in the presidential race, Robert Taft. U.S. Senator from Ohio and son of hey. and son of former president slash Supreme Court Justice William Howard Taft. Hey, you that's Ohio. my guy. Yeah. Robert Taft. Uh, and then Robert Taft's son was governor of Ohio. Whoa. Bob Taft. 
Bob Taft. Um, so, of course, we all know what eventually happened in the 1952 primaries, right? Eisenhower prevailed well, over you Taft. remember it. I remember. I was there. I was a, I was a delegate at the <laughs> Republican convention that year. Yeah. So Eisenhower prevailed over Taft in a contentious Republican primary. Then Eisenhower and his running mate, one Richard Nixon, defeated Adlai Stevenson to win the presidency. I had no idea that Richard Nixon was, that was his running mate. Uh, Nixon served eight years as Ike's VP. And I didn't then, know that. And then he ran for president and got beat by Kennedy. Oh, and then he... And that was his great shame. Right. And we're going to, this is going to come up again, like immediately. So Nixon also wrote about the encampment in 1967. So the summer of 1967, Nixon gave the final lakeside talk of the retreat that year, filling in for Hoover, who had passed away. Apparently it was tradition that Herbert Hoover would give the final lakeside talk every year. He was a super long-term member of the club, like since the... 1910. Come on like every tree. He come on every tree. Every tree was covered in Hubert Hoover come. Um, and so Nixon filled in for him. Nixon writes that this, this experience was very emotional for him because he was friends with Herbert Hoover. Um, and Herbert Hoover had been sort of a, uh, uh, what I want to say, like a mentor to him politically. Um, but the thing about this is Nixon did lose to Kennedy and he was a bit of a disgraced former political bigwig at this point. So he's attending this camp. There's going to be a presidential election in 1968. He's considering a run. Um, what Nixon giving this talk, he believed that his performance at this lakeside talk was key to him winning the presidency then in 1968. Um, and interesting to note, future president Ronald Reagan, who was then the governor of California, was also in attendance at the Grove in 1967, there's a famous photo of the two of them having gin fizz breakfast together. Mm -hmm. um, and at that encampment in 1967, the two men basically made a deal that Reagan wouldn't run in the 1968 Republican presidential primaries unless Nixon backed out. So Ronnie put off his uh, aspirations for the presidency to let Nixon run again. Right. So uh, the summer encampment and just the Grove in general has a reputation for secrecy and security. Um, the Grove is protected by a sophisticated security team all year round. Like So not just in the summer when people are there, it's all the time. Uh, the Bohemian Club employs ex-military personnel to help secure the grounds. And these guys utilize high-end security equipment like thermal night vision cameras, motion detectors, um, vibration sensing alarm systems. Whoa, vibrators. Right, they always have um, butt plugs in. Um, the level of security is heightened during the uh, encampment, of course. And during these times, local law enforcement like the local sheriff's office, the California Highway Patrol, and even the Secret Service, because ex-presidents come to this thing, mm -hmm. uh, help secure the areas and roads surrounding the camp. So this all lends to the air of mystique. Um, journalists have occasionally infiltrated the confines of the encampment and have succeeded in exposing details about club activities, members, and some of the famous guests. Um, and activists have also staged numerous protests outside Bohemian Grove, pointing to economic inequality and other social justice issues as problematic. So for a good piece on the encampment from 1989, check out the show notes and read about Philip Weiss's experience, which ran in Spy Magazine. There's a link in the show notes. You should read it. Now, given all the high-powered high folks who attend the Grove uh, and the secrecy, it's no surprise that a lot of people think something is up at Bohemian Grove. Up. Something like 
logging of old growth redwood trees. The club has been accused of covering up its forestry practices and cutting down super old redwoods for, I don't know, new cabins or whatever. The club said their logging activities are to protect the forest and reduce fire risk. But not everybody is buying that explanation. Instead, people believe the club was like me on the toilet and just straight logging, <laughs> you know, to sell lumber, which could actually increase the risk of fire. So following a the the basically the club asked for this like expansive logging permit and there was a court ruling in 2011 and the club is currently not allowed to do any logging on the acreage they own in Sonoma County. The club has also taken the heat for not allowing women to be members. Right. Uh, they also used to discriminate in hiring practices until they were hit with a lawsuit in 1978 for discrimination, uh, after which the club was forced to begin hiring women. So they do have some women that work there now. Mm. Uh, the cremation of care especially has also garnered quite a bit of controversy over the years. It's been accused of being satanic, for example. Folks like Alex Jones and David Icke see the Bohemian Grove as a summer camp for the globalists. A retreat for the New World Order to do business away from where anyone can get at the truth. Ike and Jones even suggest that the cremation of care ceremony is representative of or directly involves child sacrifice with the giant owl altar symbolizing Moloch, which is, it's kind of complicated, but it's either an ancient Canaanite deity or it might be the practice of sacrifice itself or it could be some kind of a rite of passage. It's complicated about what Moloch actually meant in ancient uh, Semitic texts. Right. It's like some people think it used to be thought of as Moloch was some god that people used to sacrifice children to. Then the people started to say like, well, it's actually this practice of sacrifice. Yeah. And then still other people say like, well, it's an interpretive thing. You know, it's like passing through the fire is like a like a trial by fire, basically. So it's more of a rite of passage, but nobody actually really knows. But could be Morlocks. Could be. I hadn't thought about that, but it's possible. Um, Alex Jones infiltrated the Bohemian Grove in the year 2000 and recorded the cremation of care ceremony. I was about uh, to say, yeah, that's one of his big claims to fame. Right. This is when he like started to like pop off as being famous because before that he was mostly like Texas based, um, primarily. He was very like he was very into the branch, branch Davidian, of. yeah. And this happened before nine eleven when he mm-hmm. infiltrated this. So this plus nine eleven, I think, like equates to him getting to be like a big nationally known conspiracy theorist. So and no other controversies after that. No, interestingly enough, kind of dis- kind of disappears. Yeah, known for being quiet, Alex Jones. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> he recorded the cremation of care. Um, And the effort to get this video was documented by UK journalist John Ronson for the series World of Wonder. Jones concluded that the ceremony is a satanic ritual and that the campers at the Grove are worshiping the giant owl as a god. Hmm. Um, It's funny, though. um, There was also um, famous male G-spot advocate Brad Meltzer um, did an episode of his show Decoded on the History Channel where his team of bumbling fools tries to go get access to the Grove and uh, there's like a hot girl who's really popular. There's a kind of a nerdy girl with glasses. Then <laughs> there's these two goofballs. There's like a dog, big bloodhound. Right. Yeah. Great Dane, actually. And, yeah. uh, you know, this like kind of, well, he's probably a stoner. He probably likes to smoke weed. Right. They drive around in a van called Brad, in a van. Brad Meltzer's decoded wagon. Brad Meltzer's G spot, male G spot decoded wagon. <laughs> so road, bread. But in a crossover that I did not expect, I did not see this coming. 
Brad Meltzer's team gets together with Alex Jones and all four of them try to infiltrate <laughs> Bohemian Grove. What the fuck? And what happens in that- I gotta ep- see this episode. You gotta watch it. Because what happens in this episode is- This is modern day? This is modern day. This was like 2017 or 16, oh I think. Oh my God. I'm surprised they didn't scrub that off the internet. And so, so they go like, okay, Alex Jones, when he infiltrates it, they go up to like the main entrance because they meet with a guy who tells them just like walk in because nobody's going to stop you because the security is not like that. Like if you look like you belong there, they just, there's too many people. Well, Alex Jones and his fucking weirdo companion, they get freaked out apparently and they just jump into the underbrush. And so they, they pop into the club (laughs) grounds where there's like a parking lot. And so they get into like a, they get into like a truck that's, that's bringing people from the parking lot to the like main campgrounds. So they get in that way. Um, But then when Brad Meltzer's team goes, they decide to go down the Russian river. So they all four are kayaking and it's Alex Jones and one of the, that attorney guy on Brad Meltzer's team in one, in one kayak. And then it's the other two people from Brad Meltzer's team in the other. And so they kayak down. And you know what? I, I, I always, I'm always breaking my um, sense of wonder with this. Cause it's like always the thing is like, I can tell from the footage that there's already a cameraman on the shore. So like what real right. danger are they in? Right. Right. And they're like, Oh my God, are there any no trespassing signs? It's like your cameraman's already trespassing. If there are, he's been on the shore for like 10 minutes. already. <laughs> it's not like Blair witch project. Where it's right. Like POV. Like, you know, it's like first person point of view and they're running around. It's like, no, there's like an established shot. They had to plan that shot. Right. Someone probably scouted the shot before right. to be like, okay, you guys will come across it. Like, there's a whole team behind the camera. Right. Producer. And there's probably like directors, ADs. So they all land on the sound sh- guy. They all land <laughs> on the shore and then they get out of the canoes and they, they start like, they're like, we're going to explore around. And they're like, we're going to go this way and stuff. And so like they split up. Oh my God. And two of them go one way and two go the other way. And well, it seems like Alex Jones goes with the two. Like, so it's like three and one kind of, I don't, I don't really know. Cause it's it, the way it's edited. You can't tell. Sure. But then the, the thing that they show is like it's camera footage. That's clearly like one of the team members like has like probably like a camera strapped to them. Cause it's like really blurry. It's out of focus. It's like shot of the ground. Like they're running and it's audio from them. And of course maybe they just set a camera in a weird way and they're just playing the audio and they actually didn't get any footage of this. So it does seem like they went without the camera crew Two of Brad Meltzer's team get arrested. Wow. And they spend nine hours. They drive them like 30 miles away to a holding cell at a local jail and they sit there for like nine hours until the other guy bails them out. Nice. And uh, what's interesting is so Alex Jones lands with them on the shore and you never hear about Alex Jones again in the whole episode. What? So what happened to him? Did he get arrested or not? Oh my God. He probably got invited in because he's probably part of it. Two of them got arrested and then (laughs) like, but the Alex Jones, they don't even say like what happened to Alex Jones. Like the guy bails them out of jail and it's only the two. So Alex Jones, I'm like, where did he go? Wow. Anyway, um, so that was uh, Brad Meltzer's Decoded. That's the recap of that episode. Uh, check it out. Link in the show notes. Man. Um. So anyway, um, the cremation of care. Getting back to this thing, uh, Alex Jones infiltrated it. Said they were worshiping a giant owl as a deity. He also, um, he also said that the cremate that the the body of Mr. Dole care is meant to represent a child mm. um, because he found somebody gave him a pro he got a program when he went there. And of course it's got like this super badass like drawing on the front of a skeleton, like burning in a coffin. And, like, 
giant owl. That's and pretty stuff. sick. It's pretty sick. But of course, he took that drawing, that fucking piece of art that's not a photograph or anything, and had it analyzed by anatomical experts who said that the proportions are those of a child, which is the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard in my goddamn life. <laughs> so he's like, well, it's clearly they're burning a child. It's like, that's what the fuck are you so even talking about? Great, dude. So anyway, um, beyond these conspiracy theories, some folks are just upset that it sure seems like the Grove encourages public policy business being done outside of the public view. Mm-hmm. One of the most vocal people on this topic is Mary Moore, a longtime protester of the Grove encampment and a member of the Bohemian Grove Action Network, which is like a counter protest organization. Uh, And Mary is a local person who lives in the area. Uh, Mary is generally opposed to the impact the attendees have uh, the attendees to the encampment have had on the world, like in terms of planetary destruction through industry and its relation to government regulation, like nuclear weapons and stuff like that. Right, 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 right. So Mary feels the scariest part of the Grove isn't the giant owl, but rather the lakeside talks where current issues of the day are put before the powerful audience. As Mary points out, ideas get shared at the Grove in a lakeside talk, and then they have a tendency to become reality. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, Ronald Reagan's Secretary of Defense, Casper Weinberger, gave a lakeside talk in 1981, make, making the case for better arming the U.S. military. After, Reagan's administration introduced a plan to beef up defense spending, and that made its way through Congress and became reality. So, Star Wars. Right. That's probably directly related to this. So still others, such as Professor Professor William G. Domhoff, who we mentioned earlier, uh, believe the Grove is pretty harmless for the most part. It's just a big fraternity where important people get together to forget their cares and party like horny teens for a few days. Wow. Domhoff's primary thesis on the Grove is that it supports the idea of a socially cohesive upper class in the United States. Evidence that the rich and powerful from across the USA are not only rich and powerful in their own native areas, but have a wider influence by actually having the ability to socialize meaningfully with each other. Um, and I guess this is a focus for Domhoff because he's felt this way for a long time. And other scholars in sociology made the claim that the United States is too expansive and too different in all of its constituent areas for elite folks in one area to meaningfully connect with elite folks in another area to form some sort of a cohesive ruling class. Right. So he's arguing that that's actually true and that Bohemian Grove supports that, that hypothesis. Mm-hmm. Um, so to put it in my own terms, it's basically like this is a place where people come and though not the ostensible purpose, these people are influenced by the attitudes and opinions of the rest of the group, which they then take away from the Grove to their own lives. But probably the thing most people bring up about the Grove is this. Excessive drinking and public urination. It seems like literally every source says that people are drinking all over the place and pissing everywhere. And that's not even a joke. This is not even for comedic value. No, it's not. Literally every source talks about how much people right. are pissing. People, Alex Jones it. brings it up even. Right, yeah. Because um, he's talking about 85-year-old dongs whipping out and pissing on redwood trees. Um, uh, this place honestly sounds like fucking heaven. <laughs> Drink to excess and just piss anywhere you feel. Right, like. yeah. Um, Julian, outside, dude. Julian Scanton, writing for Vanity Fair, maybe said it best, quote, with gin fizzes being poured at 7 a.m., so many enlarged prostates and so much majestic natural urinals, who's surprised? End quote. <laughs> now, beefers, back in my day, there were few pleasures as kingly as taking a large group of men into a secluded forest retreat and doing anything you wanted to in secret. 
There were also few cultural events more indulgent than ostentatious theatrical productions. But nowadays it seems like everybody is allowed to go into the forest and, and, and watch me and watch what I do with my friends, my male friends are doing with our hogs, <laughs> and they'll pretty much let anybody go into the theater. So I guess what I'm saying is that this isn't the world I know anymore, but I don't plan to discontinue pissing on every tree I see anytime soon. Look, I'm not saying the modern world has ruined everything, but I'm pretty sure it has. <laughs> After all, without modern technology, you wouldn't be able to listen to this podcast, and that would be a blessing to humanity. Yeah. Unfortunately, things are the way they are, and you're stuck with us because this podcast will continue to run on nothing but pure spite for the remainder of time. <laughs> Even with all our problems, we can all still enjoy some old-fashioned things like just getting out into nature. Get out there and check out your local wild areas, beefers. Head into the woods and see what you can find. Who knows? Maybe you'll be lucky enough to spot a secretive gathering of the world elite. Or maybe you'll find a whole enchilada. Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast will be right back after this brief message. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah, right? And yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Chipotas. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Welcome back. That was our research into the Bohemian Grove. Walk like a bohemian. Yeah, I love that song. Um Art, uh, Bohemian Grove. a topic. What a topic. What a topic. And, I mean, what an event, huh? You remember seeing that Alex Jones uh, footage? Yeah. The early... Well, I remember that, too. Like, even I caught a whiff of that yeah, back I, in the day. That made, uh, that made 
I think international news really because like of early that was that felt like er, something early YouTube that I would see. Yeah, that know? very much feels that way. Of course, um, you know, Alex Jones made a documentary off of it in addition to John Ronson's um, piece, which I do recommend uh, beefers. If you <clears throat> have never seen the John Ronson piece, uh, I would go and watch it because it's it's good for a laugh. Honestly, um, he, somebody in the comments on YouTube said it best, which is that like he has such a great way of adding comedy to the conspiracy theory without actually making fun of anybody. Ronson. Yeah. Mm. Like it's, I don't know. It's just, it's very well done. Um, Cause you know, he's Alex Jones goes in, he's got this, he's got this real fucking doofy guy who goes with him. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, Ronson shoots them. Pra- like they have to go buy khakis. Cause they talk to this guy who had infiltrated the, <clears throat> the club before. And he's like, He's telling him like, yeah, you know, all I did was I just walked in. Like, you just got to look like you belong and walk in and nobody will question you. You can make up a story if you want about like who you are, but like, you know, walk in and just look like you belong and nobody's going to say anything. There's so many people. And um, so they took this guy's advice. He was like, you know, they were like, can we wear blue jeans? And he was like, "Eh, it's not really like a blue jean type audience. You're probably better off if you had like khakis or something. Right. Cause it's very, it's very funny. Like to see these like old men out clearly in the woods, like wearing like blazers, ties, yeah, ties yeah, and blazers. Yeah. It's like, it's, oh yeah, really roughing it here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, they're like, can we wear sandals? What about flip flops? He's like sandals, maybe flip flops would probably get you thrown out. Uh, you'll probably get arrested if you wear flip flops cause they'll, they'll know you don't belong. So like they, so then they, they have this whole thing of where they go to the mall because they must have only brought blue jeans. So they have to go to the mall to buy khakis. And it's like, you know, there's the narration from Ronson about how like Alex Jones starts to wonder if this guy they talked to who was the informant who infiltrated it was actually part of some bigger conspiracy and he's trying to trick them and get them arrested. Right. Um, so they weren't sure if they should do what he said, but they still go and buy these preppy clothes to wear out there. And I don't know, the whole thing is so funny. And then they come back and they're like trying on the outfits. Like, what's my preparation shirt look like? Which one should I wear? And then they decide they need to, they need to practice. They do a little montage. They need to practice having a preppy conversation. <laughs> and so they're out at this motel and it's like one of those, it's like one of those motels where the, the rooms have the doors that face out and there's like, you know, it's like a balcony thing that's connected like a walkway. And so they, uh, they go to the one end and they're like walking and the camera's like following them. It's like a walk and talk. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they're like, okay, we're going to, we're going to like have this phony uh, preppy conversation. And so Alex Jones is the only one talking. He's like, so uh, David, yeah, you know, it's uh, what's incredible to me is about how microprocessors, they keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And the real question is, uh, at what point are they going to stop being able to increase performance because the size is going to just get too small? <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck is this conversation? Like, yeah, you say that as you're walking in the gate and the guy's like, those people belong here. It's like the most weird, like fucking thing to bring up. And the other guy's just like, yeah, that is the question. <laughs> and Ronson's like, is that really what you're going to say? Like, are you really just going to say, yeah. And he's like, well, I don't want to rehearse it too much. You know, I want it to be natural. And so they go back and they do it again. And Alex Jones just basically says the exact same thing. And the other guy just goes, uh-huh. It's so fucking dumb. 
Oh my god, dude. Oh jeez. And then of course you can already see like they go to the whole thing and they watch it. They're sitting there. They're freaking out. And they're like they come back to the hotel and they're like you know, just so disgusted by what they saw there. Right. And it's like, what did you see that was so disgusting? Like, yeah, you must know. have a hard time getting through life. Like, every little thing is disgusting. Like, oh, my God, I went to the movie theater. You should have seen what happened on this screen. They tried to kill Spider-Man. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> Doc Ock. Doc Ock. Gotta, there's a man with octopus arms. Oh. <coughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's, you know, obviously, I think... There's an agenda there, clearly. Yeah, yeah. With Jones, I mean, it's funny because he you has can, to be. It's funny because you can see them like, it's it's very improvish to me. Like that's what I see when I'm watching this footage. Is like, he says something and the other guy adds on, and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and then they just keep making it. They worse yes and, worse. and and they height keep, and height. They keep making it worse and worse and worse as they talk about it, mm-hmm. and then eventually, like you know, Ronson's like pushing them a little bit. Like he's like. He's like, but it's not a real body in that casket. It's a, it's an effigy. And it's it's like clear that this is like a theatrical thing. Like you can tell that it's like there's fireworks and stuff. Like it's not, nothing really bad. And it's not a real body. It's not meant to be a child. It's meant to be like the, it's a symbol of care. Like you can tell it's a symbol, right? right? And he's like, and Alex Jones just gets pissed. He's like, it's too late for me to watch this video anymore. I got to turn this shit off. We can talk about it more in the morning. And like. Then of course in the morning they're both like, yeah, it was so satanic. Like, they, <laughs> like even even more strongly like the other way. Like you know, the, oh no no amount of self reflection. All they did was have time to like get get their heads together on like here's how evil this is. Like like I'm gonna have to go pray. Like the other guy Mike, he went to go pray at a church in the morning because he was so so freaked out by the I'm satanic sure he stuff. He really did. The satanic stuff. So yeah, I mean, you know, Jones is a so over the a top master of media manipulation, oh my God. and in the same way that a politician is, they have there. It's amazing. You have this skill as well. He deflect. was fucking twenty six years old when he did that. Dude, he's he's been doing it a long time. He's so young. I was like, God damn. Yeah, I know. He's so like fit. He used to be really fit and like, you know, like just a normal looking kind of guy. Yeah, <laughs> he became this like meme man. Well, that's the thing is like he. The, uh, I don't know. Somebody tells him like, you look the part of like, yeah, like a preppy guy. Yeah. And you could tell he was like, (laughs) like disgusted that that person would even say that. (laughs) I don't know if that was the like informant they were working with, but you could tell he was like, I don't look that part of the new world order. Yeah. No, he, he's very good at deflection. Um, probably everybody who goes to that camp is good at it. It's like media training. It's like how to deflect things you're good at it um you answer the question you want to be asked rather than the question you did get asked um i I forget what clip i was watching it came up i was like scrolling through youtube shorts and um sometimes sometimes um clips of like alex jones when he was on joe rogan the first or second time which are like some of the funniest things i've ever seen will come up um, cause I watched so many Alex Jones being placed into Warhammer 40 K memes, right? Which yeah. they're, it's like, they're, it's, they're incredible. They're it's hilarious. Incredible. All the, all the Alex Jones and Warhammer, oh, they're fucking amazing. hilarious. They're so good. And, um, so he'll come and like, it was some clip where he's talking about intergalactic. These are child molesting, harvesting vampire aliens and blah, 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 blah. And he's like, he's talking about all the books that he has. He's got these dossiers and these secret things. And Joe's like, well, yeah, can I see them? And Joe's like, I'll, I'll, I'll mail them to you. I'll mail them to you. 
right after. I'll send you things that'll just blow your mind. And Joe's like, can I see them? And he's right. like, he'll never say yes or no. Right. He'll just always move on to the next thing. And right. so, um, anyway, I don't know. Yeah, he's just, Oh, geez, Joe, sorry. I forgot to mail those to you. I'll get them in the mail to you right now. Can't do it right now. Actually, I'm eating a big bowl of chili. I'll, okay. I'll come back to you later. Big bowl of chili. But, uh, you know, it brings up uh, that watching that, though, like really. I mean, I'm going to show my hand a little bit here for a verdict, but um, everybody knows where you're going. I mean, yeah, everybody does probably know where I'm going um, because it's very consistent with how I would say any of this type of stuff is. But I think that there is a lot of, you know, I think one thing Alex Jones is um, big about talking about is disinformation, misinformation, you know, like um, in recent recent to when that happened. Um, you know, this was before 9-11 when they filmed that uh, cremation of care. The last big terrorist attack was Oklahoma City. Yeah. And Alex Jones was a very much a this was an inside job, Oklahoma City bombing that like this was meant to smear people like him because it's it looks anti-government. So it's meant to make people that are anti-government look bad. Mm-hmm. Um, And so it wasn't. It wasn't just some guy who was literally against the government trying to bomb the government. It's the government killing its own people right. to make people like that look bad. Um, but so it's like, and you know, it's like, oh, it's, oh, it's, dis- it's disinformation. It's misinformation by the government that, you know, implicates Timothy McVeigh and um, the other guy whose name escapes me, mm-hmm. um, his con- co-conspirator. But um, I think there's a fair amount of that with Bohemian Grove too. Um, you know, like they, they show footage in the Ronson piece about you know of david ike talking about it and both reliable narrators david right. ike and alex jones. i mean it's it's obvious like david ike doesn't even use like confirmatory language talking about it it's like it's like very obvious that he's just like speculating wildly right about what happens and it's just you know the details are wrong and it doesn't but it doesn't matter it's like oh and then you know you look at washington dc and the grounds of the capitol are in the shape of an owl and oh if you if you zoom up high enough, the whole thing, the whole street plan of yeah. of Washington D.C. looks like the owl altar or something. Right. It's like okay, whatever. Like you know, it's it's stuff like this, and um, I feel like they've they've taken some of these misconceptions about it because the thing that I'm thinking about is like at this point, a lot of people have infiltrated the Grove, yeah, and spent time there, and you can read about it. It's public knowledge. There's a ton of members. I didn't know that. There's like close to 3000 thousands members. of members and you think about that thousands of members over more than 100 years right and not all of them are these like very public high level figures the, the majority of members are like actors and right. writers and musicians people we don't who are these people nobody's nobody's, nobody's. we don't know like that's the thing is the what are they doing there the, the elites like this is basically like the elites are the small core that finance the whole activities of the club. And right. it's, it is very prestigious to be in this club. Make sure. no mistake. Sure. This is one of the like, you know, uh, Professor Domhoff has these like rankings for like the prestigious uh, qualities of a club. Like because it's like all about what people you can interact with and how hard it is to get in and that type of thing. And like Bohemian Grove comes up as like number six on his list. Mm. So it's not even the most like. Um, number one is actually. Uh, us but our patreon but but only because we're so difficult to talk to right and interact with not because of any kind of like initiation process it's just that we're so off-putting right that like people it's very difficult to be a member like 
personally. Domhoff scores him on like what I think it's like a score of like how central they are, uh-huh. which is like it's basically like how many how many like how many different like leaders and corporations can you get access to in a small like setting? Like how how cohesive can you get? So like there's there's some club in uh, New York called the Lynx that's like one of the most exclusive clubs in the yeah. world. And apparently that's like, that's number one on the list. Right. But so like Bohemian club is, is pretty high up there though, because it's a lot of, it is a lot of like, it's very prestigious to get involved. Well, it's you know, hard. You have to know somebody who's in it. You have to know two fucking people who are in it already. You have to know two, two fucking people and they have to recommend you. Right. And then what they do, part of the application process. I mean, I didn't get into all this cause it's kind of like dry, but yeah, you have to, we like to keep it wet on your, yeah, We like it moist and sloppy. So you you have to on your application you have to say five people at the club that know you. Jesus Christ. Each of the people that sponsored you, those two people, they have to list five people at the club that know you. Wow. And I don't know, I assume it hurts your chances if it's the same five people cuz they're going to yeah. go, "Well, you only know five people." But like so you probably need to know like at least 20 people. Right. And then they'll start asking other people, like, is this a good person? Will they make a good club member? That's what interests me more than the high profile people we've mentioned. Like, yeah, of whatever. They're there. Like, but who are these other fucking people? Right. Who are these people? How did they get in? Because when you, what are they writing? Who, who, who are these actors? What have they been in? Yeah. Because when you think about it, so is it Mark of, Wahlberg of all the members <laughs> and all of the things, like there's a lot of members of this club and there's employees and there's all this stuff. The people that run it don't seem to be the most famous members. Mm-hmm. Like they have other shit to do. And I mean, this one thing, just as a quick sidebar about the camp, it's, it's 16 days, right? Mm-hmm. Most people only come on the weekends. Like the attendance at the camp balloons way up on the weekends. Wow. Because during the week, a lot of these people just fucking fly out and go back home. Right. Like they go to, they go back to work. They yeah. work during the week and it's like, oh, they might fly in on Saturday. Um, Philip Weiss writes in his piece for Spy Magazine about Ronald Reagan shows up at this one in 1989. Of course, there's like a there's like a prohibition on sitting presidents going to the Grove um, because Nixon tried to do it in 1971 and it turned into a big like press debacle and it embarrassed the club. Wow. Like he wanted to give a lakeside talk and they invited him to do it and he accepted the invitation and, you know, the president's schedule is like public record. Right. So Nixon's planning to go to Bohemian Grove. It's on his it's on his agenda. It's on his calendar. And the press starts going like, well, what's he doing there? What's he going to be doing? We got to go too. like we need access. Like he can't the president can't go someplace and not have press access. Right, right, right. And so it turns into this whole big debacle and it, Nixon has to decline the invitation. And so he's like very embarrassed by this because he's a longtime member. He's been a member for like 20 years at this point. He sends a telegram since the seventies uh, to the president of the Bohemian club. And they apparently took this telegram and they like had it hanging in the clubhouse because he's like, so, like so like effusively sorry for not being able to be there. And he's like, Anybody could become president of the United States, but only a few people could ever become president of the Bohemian Club. Jeez. That's how he ends it. And so, like, there's, so there's, you know, of all these members, right? Uh, like, this is just a quick sidebar. Like, Reagan, when he goes in 89, after he's done being president, he shows up, like, the final Saturday. And he's, like, the last lakeside talk. He's not there the whole rest of the time. Right. Like, he's he was just 
not there one day. Mm-hmm. But Philip Weiss actually managed to meet him at the. Oh. He bluffed his way through like seven days before he got arrested, and he made it all that way and actually got to meet Reagan. Bluffed his way into meeting Reagan. Wow, he's a better bluffer than Alex Jones. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Like he did a good Doesn't job. Doesn't seem like it's that fucking hard. So that's why his his piece is pretty interesting because he was there for a while. Yeah. Um. But anyway, the attendance swells on the weekends because that's when the really heavy hitters are there, mm. and that's when they have most of the like big time programming is on the weekends and the lakeside talks and stuff. And you know, during the week, people just go back to work. Like there are some people who are probably like old men who are retired, like. The club is predominantly very old. That's apparently a concern for them that the membership, it's not a fun place to be because it's just a bunch of like octogenarians hanging out in the woods. Like it ain't that great. Right. So um, it's, it's just, it, it makes it seem so many people make it seem like, like hotbed of like, Oh, cabinet members go away for two weeks and stay there. And they're spending two weeks out in the woods. What are they doing? It's like, it's not really that it's like they might fly in for a day and then they leave. What was the other one that starts with a B that we talked about? Uh, Bilderberg Group. The Bilderberg Group. It's very similar. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bilderberg is... I actually think Bilderberg is probably more... Bilderberg is like more nefarious. more overtly like we are like shaping global policy. Right, right. Like I, I would say Bilderberg is... I don't think either one is all that nefarious, but yeah. Bilderberg is like way more on the nose of Nefari- like... It depends on how you define nefarious. Right. But even, even fucking... We didn't talk about this, but Nixon has a very colorful quote. Uses oh. some very colorful language to describe what actually happens. Yes, I mean at the Grove. I hope Art's gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna take a risk here. I hope. No, Art's, no, you don't have to. Okay, but Art. Uh, I, I. I was hesitant to say it, but it's interesting. Nixon he uses a colorful term for a bundle of sticks. Yes, Nixon. Nixon was recorded on the Watergate tapes. Talk. That's how they found this. Yeah. This quote is, you know, for all Dude, of his he's nuts, for all of his love of the Bohemian Club and the Grove and yeah. like all of the things that it got him right. in life. Um, he does refer to it as with a slur, an F word slur, um, because it's in San Francisco. He's a nut job. And then he man. says, I can't even shake hands with somebody from San Francisco. So, I mean, Mr. Mr. Yeah. California, uh, what a nut, uh, Richard um, Nixon. So, but like, oh. but like the thing is a lot of the membership is these actors and stuff. And like, yeah, who people, are they? People, people make this claim. Like Alex Jones says this, David Icke says this. Oh, it's like George W. Bush and George H. W. Bush dressed in robes, burning in effigy a body. They're not doing that. They're probably not there. Yeah. They're coming at different whenever they have to be there. And when the all point, their other political buddies are there. Right. And they're the going to show up and hey, talk but, to some writer. But my point is, like, most of the actors are actors. They're not these power elite. Mm-hmm. Like, they're in the audience. They're watching the plays and stuff. They're not, like, they're not acting. Like, yeah, they make cameos and stuff. Like, but. Mostly they take this shit so fucking seriously. They don't want like dumb shits like George W. Bush in there fucking up their lines who don't know how to act. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. no offense to George W. Bush, but fuck you, George W. Bush. <laughs> you stupid <laughs> asshole. I'd love to see you put on a play. You fucking idiot. I mean, he does like to paint, so yeah. he probably fit in pretty good. And right. he loved to drink yeah, back in the for day. Su- for sure. He's probably not allowed to now. Well, actually, I don't. I think he went sober. Yeah, I think so. I'm pretty sure. Because he, he had a real heavy drinking problem. Yeah, and a cocaine problem. And a cocaine problem. So, I mean, I guess that's that's part of the misinformation in my mind is that they accuse all these rich and powerful people of being like directly involved in the cremation of care. But it's not really the case. It's a lot of actors like, yeah, Walter Cronkite was the voice of the owl. But you also have to like put it into context that this thing started over 100 years ago. Right. 
And they've been doing it every year since then. Right. So like even before it was a bunch of like world power brokers, like they were doing this cremation of care. And like, I think we can all agree it was started by a bunch of fucking dorks and they wanted mm-hmm. all these, they wanted to have all these cool traditions and stuff. Like, you know, I guess, um, Harry Shearer kind of described it as, uh, it's like any secret society basically. It's where, like Freemasons too. Where like the, the, yeah. the biggest conspiracy is trying to like pretend that this is all serious instead of like, because in your rational mind, you're like, this is such bullshit. Yeah. This is also stupid. Um, like, like skull and bones at Yale, like, you know, H.W. Well, Bush has yeah. has a camp. At- I think there are there are like every fucking conspiracy. There's some kind of kernel of truth, right? Like it's like, yeah, Skull and Bones is I mean, we haven't done it yet, but it like is a funnel for putting people into CIA and other like high level. Oh, for sure. Things and, and it's vetting people, right? Like that's what all these secret societies do is they want to vet people to make sure that like you're going to keep and maintain yeah. the status quo of whatever that fucking club is. Right. Um, I think, you know, yeah, I think Bohemian Grove is like, it's pretty fucking dorky. Like yeah. it's, it's theater dorks. And that's coming from right. a theater dork, right? right? Like right. theater is very dorky. You ever been to a fucking theater fest? If you haven't been to a theater fest, I've been to one. Right. It's fucking dork city, man. Like right. these are dorky, weird, dramatic people. So I don't know what the, I'm more curious about the other clientele. I don't give a fuck that like, Nixon is flying in for one day because they just want to fly in and it seems like they just want to have fun. They want to give a couple talks. They want to shake hands with some of their buddies. They want to like not have the press around. They want to goof off and fraternize and fucking drink and piss yeah, openly. Right. And be like, just they want to just fucking bro out. They want just want to have a fucking good time. If you and then they want to leave. You know, if you've ever been around like public figures, they're uh, like soulless. They have to be careful about what they do yeah. in public because Yeah. You know, that's not some novel thing. It becomes like it becomes like gossip. It becomes news. Like you know, anytime right. you're with a public figure, they have to be mindful of their public behavior because then that's how people will judge them. Right. So it's no wonder that people would say like, "Hey, we want to." It's like with COVID when like they were sitting there and everybody was like, you know, that was always the big controversy, right? Is like these people would be like, "Hey, y'all got to stay inside." Then they would be go having like big ass fucking parties and like yeah. having a good time, and people would catch that on camera and that would become a thing, and then right? Blah, 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 blah. Like everyone was doing that. So, right. you know, it it's it's the same sort of deal. It's like they just want to. There is definitely a divide. Like, I think when this thing started, there probably was a clear divide between like elite people of society who were like, I feel like when this thing started, it was so long ago that it was like. They were surrounded by like country folk, like these were like miners and like. You know, just like, so many children. Yeah. No, like people work mine. Like, oh, think about like yeah. cowboy times. Like it's right. like that's this when is, this started. This is the this is the old west, right? So like you had these hoity-toity. Like I'm from I'm from the big city. This right. which was a new concept, right? Right, a big city. San Francisco is basically a boom town. At so this it's point. this shanty fucking boom town. There's like whorehouses and saloons and shit. Right. All this riffraff, and then you have these like. I'm cultured. I go to see plays and people are like, what the fuck is that? Like, like this you know? is still the, this is still the way that San Francisco is divided today. Yeah. You know, it's like the rich yeah. people live on the hill and the poor people live down right. in the valley. Like, right. you know, I, I mean, mean, yeah, I don't know that much about San Francisco. I don't even know how, is that even true anymore? Like who fucking knows? Like with, with, yeah, I mean, but, you San know, Francisco and it's, it's retail prices, but, or housing prices. But what I'm trying to get at is like, this started 
at a time when there was like a very clear divide to me. Like it's like this was high society people who were interested in the arts, vi- like just totally alien to the rest of the world mm-hmm. that they were around. They wanted to bring pieces of that big city life with them. So they start this dorky, dumb club. And then I think as time goes on, that line of like who is elite and who isn't is very blurred. Right. Because like, yeah, I guess you could be like a pretty rich and powerful writer. I don't know writing for what. I don't fucking know. Um, Well, like think about somebody like Mark Twain. Yeah, Mark Twain. Where it's like internationally known. Right. You know, like like Mark Twain has a lot of clout. A lot Mm -hmm. of cachet. Cachet. Yeah. But then, like, you know, you've got so many people there. Like, not everybody is a high-profile government official or politician or even, like, business person. Right. It's like, I, I, just, I don't really know how much sway, like, an actor has. Yeah. And who is this actor? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's the thing. There are famous actors who are involved. Like, Clint Eastwood was a member. Yeah, but that's just one. But And that's the thing is, like... There's 3,000 dudes. I would wager... Donuts to dollars that Clint Eastwood was maybe never in any production right. at the Bohemian Club or at the Grove, unless it was a brief cameo. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like they talked about one of the low jinks one year where um, the owners of the Giants and the Dodgers, mm-hmm. like they, I guess this was maybe in um, Philip Weiss's recounting, like the low jinks that year, they had something about a like little league baseball team. Like there was the whole bit was like an elevator going off on the wrong floor or something. That was like the main theme of it. I don't know. And premise needs to know the past. Let us let us come in and punch that up. For it's you. like it's like the the main female character was like Brenda Bubadina or something like that. So it's just stupid shit like that. But at any rate, they have like a little league team getting off, and it's like the the little league baseball players are the owners of the Giants and the Dodgers. So it's like that's yeah. that's like to me, that's where the famous people get involved, mm-hmm. and that's just a bit part like they have a line and then they leave and then they're done like they dressed up in little league uniforms and stuff or like dodgers and giants uniforms which of course they would have access to you know they own the team right so then they show up and they do that little thing and that's it like everybody laughs right and you know it's probably like they have to probably ask them if they will do that Mm -hmm. and if they say no it's probably like oh well that's not being a good bohemian but also they're probably powerless to tell them like no you have to do it yeah there's probably a power play even within the stupid club yeah I mean, that's very much the focus at the Grove is like, you have to be a good bohemian while you're here. Like, you have to respect the discretion of the group. You have to, like, respect the arts. You have to, like, respect the, be in fellowship with other people and not do business here. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I mean, I guess, yeah, it's part of it. I wrote down a note. It says, um, it sounds like when your friends left for Europe <laughs> and they got back and then they have all these like inside jokes and you're not a part of it. Yeah, this is <laughs> all my friends went to the Grove and I didn't. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. It kind of feels like that. Like I, at least at first it kind of felt like, oh, well you weren't a part of this club. Well then you're not, you know, you don't get it. Here's something I wanted to ask you and I'm sure I've asked you this before. So Evan Hahn, ears up. Have I burned <laughs> Eff- a fucking effigy. skeleton effigy to of a child. the owl god Murloc? Obviously, I mean, what else am I going to be doing? <laughs> like, hello, um, I love burning things. But I do want to say, Evan Hahn, lore master alert. Like, he's a lore master. Listen up here, because this is probably going to contradict other stuff that I've said. But Art, have you ever been involved in a fraternal organization? Like either a fraternity. Does improv count? <laughs> uh, 
it's I mean, it's, it's borderline, right? Probably the closest, yeah. <laughs> but have you ever been involved in like a like a club, for, like an adult club, adult club for men? Like, yeah, like, no, like I've not. Like, I was an Elks member. No, I've never done any of those things. And it's like they they have the same thing. Like, there's like there there's a ritual team. They do these rituals, and it's like you know, I don't know. It's they like they do this stuff at the meetings and. There's varying levels of how serious people take it. Yeah. Some people take it very serious, like they do competitions and stuff. But it's like at the end of the day, it's like it's it's just rituals. Like it doesn't it's not deeper symbolically of some like satanic thing. It's just like each club. Yeah. I think I think that fraternal organizations are almost outside of the understanding of people today. Because I, it's I not like that popular. point. I was about to make that point. Actually, it's yes. not popular anymore. It is in other capacities, though. I think there is a, a sociological argument to make that, like, ritual and fraternal order is still a part of culture. It just takes on a different uh, method, right? Like, Fair. back in the day, they didn't have phones. They didn't have fucking computers. Right. So the way you would is you had to physically be within proximity and create some goofy thing so that you would talk about it, right? It would be like they would have to get together and they would burn an owl, and that's how they do things. Well, nowadays, you don't need to do that. I can go on my phone. And I can repurpose a meme to communicate something fraternally with people that I'm like-minded with, right? Right. Or I can use some kind of uh, fucking Gen Z slang, or I can do other things that I think are exactly the same, that this is like, hey, this is our fucking group. You're not a part of it. Right. I mean, that's fucking every generation has that, right? For real, for real. For real, for real. So, um, Riz. I think that, uh, <laughs> I, I, th- I, do, I do agree with you. Uh, I Maybe think, that's not the best example, but you know what I mean. No, I think I think that I think I'm a gamer. Social so dynamics you know, I, have changed. I say like there's things about me that if you didn't know, you know, you're not a part of this group. Right. And so I have these traditions and things and whatever. You form traditions throughout your life in a lot of different capacities. I don't think fraternal order or the the desire to be a part of a tribe or some kind of group that is based on like minded ideals is some like whoa like only these freaks do it it's like no that's everybody does that yeah i agree with you everybody does that i think it's like the 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 type of fraternal club that bohemian club is it's just an older version it's just it's just it's it's not in style so much anymore and like you know i think about like it's not in style when i when i grew up i heard about like people who were not even my parents generation but their parents generation of like what it was like at a club like the elks club where it's like oh you know, the the fathers, the men in the families, they all go there every night and they play cards until late at night. Yeah. And they go home and they go to sleep and nobody at home ever sees them except on the weekends. Uh, so it's like they go to work in the morning. They go to the club at night. They play cards all night. They gamble all night. They drink all night. They go home. They go to sleep. They go to work the next day. Yeah. And it's like mothers at, mothers at home with the children, like taking care of them completely. It's like society just doesn't work that way anymore. Like I can't imagine my own life being that way. Um, you know, it's like, I would rather be home than be at a men's club playing cards all night, every night. Well, you do come to do a podcast every week. So that is well, kind of like a, a men's week. club once a week. Yeah. This is a men's club. No women allowed on this show. But I mean, in a way you did used to do that in some capacity, right? When we were doing improv at its height, we were fucking doing things like every night of the week, we would have a show, right. maybe sometimes three shows a week. Right. Um, we would have rehearsals, but I could take my wives. You could. Begrudgingly. Right. I mean, we were both sort of begrudging. I didn't want to take them and they didn't want to go, but out of 
They could go to the shows, but they wouldn't go to the rehearsals. No, they wouldn't They wouldn't allowed. go to other things that you would do. No. It was like a club. So Yeah. But yeah, I get what you're saying. Yes. It was sort of a I think as society changed and different pieces of culture change, people still cling to things that they understood, right? That was nostalgic to them that they got like so we have this sort of thing you're describing of like this shift in uh how society viewed uh, like, you know, the man and the woman in a relationship and family dynamics and what was okay and what wasn't, right? Like, mm -hmm. even the idea that the, you would, like, here's a good example, computers. Computer programming was often, even society was thought of as like, that was a woman's job. Right. And then that suddenly shifted and now you have this whole conversation about, you know. How do we get women more involved right, in programming? Right, it's them. Yeah. Like, when did that shift? You know, how? where's that shift at? And there might still be people that view one thing one way and another thing the other. Or like, you take like, yeah, all childcare was the woman. So when that started to shift in society, some of the men were like, well, I want to cling to that older idea. Right. So I'm going to go out and fucking play cards with it. Or just, I don't know. They just wanted to get away from the house. Yeah. <laughs> and I, or it used to be that, you know, you'd, you'd work all day. Because you worked on it, everything was agricultural, so you would work all day. The whole family would work all day, and then you'd just come together at night. You pretty much just had supper and then went to fucking sleep. Right. And then you got up again, and worked all day, and I then things like started to shift. Yeah. Cities formed. Suddenly, you had people like, like so much of society shifted when cities and this industrial revolution happened. It's it's interesting stuff. Yeah, and I feel like Bohemian Club, Bohemian Grove, is like indicative of that older fashioned yes. mentality of like, you know, oh, men don't have a way to get together with other men away from the yeah, like, I don't harping, ever, nagging of women everywhere. Like Joe Rogan and who are some of the powerful elite as far as like media today? It's like you have your like Rogans and your your fucking like Logan Paul. Like I don't even, like, you know, it's like, yeah, there's a lot of like people like there's leading, a lot of like, like what it means to be a man type of stuff now. Like, sure, sure, but not even that. It's just like who, who are like I'm trying to say like who are these elites? Are they going to be going to things like that? Oh yeah, I don't know. I don't think that they are. I think that they look at it as like it's old, right? right? And they're yeah. going to form their own new club in society. It, it's it's predominantly older. It's predominantly conservative. You know, it's like I think that people like Herbert Hoover had a big impact mm -hmm. on the makeup of the club because he was a very influential member. Um, just because he. You know, he was from California. He was in the club from like early on. So he was, he got to be a part of what they call the old guard, uh, which are members who have been in the club for 40 years. Like, so you have to be in the club for a long time. That's hard before you get this status. It takes a long time to get in. Like, can you imagine? Like, yeah. And he, and he was you're in getting the, in at 40. Yeah. He's, yeah. You, you gotta basically be, get to be the old guard when you're 80. 80 years old. Yeah. So he was old, obviously, when he got his old guard title conferred on him and, you know, it's like he had this caveman camp that he was a part of. And yeah. like that was, you know, the group that got that gets together there was very like conservative, politically inclined, much like himself. And, you know, it's like he was responsible for bringing in like a lot of politicians and stuff to the to the Grove to be like special guests and speakers at the Lakeside Talks. And so I think that helps to like change the makeup of it a lot, too, that it's not just industry it gets to be more political and like you know he's very conservative and that has an impact on the types of people that are there because san francisco itself is not no. known as a conservative hotbed but no. 
you know, I mean, it's like Hoover had an institute, a think tank at Stanford. I, I believe still does the Hoover right. Institute that like is, is a predominantly very conservative think tank on policy. So and it, vacuums. Yeah. And vacuums. They suck hard uh, as Hoover did himself. I don't know anything about Herbert. Ask anybody at Do the Grove. Do not go on a tangent about Herbert. Ask anybody at the Grove. <laughs> he was very into miners. He made a fortune in mining. Actually, uh, uh, a polyglot was Herbert Hoover. He spoke uh, Chinese. I don't know Mandarin or uh, one language Cantonese. makes you a polyglot. Well, he spoke English too. That's it's not two, enough. Two languages. I think polyglot. You need a couple more. So this will be. I'll give him a break. Nah. Um, that's just being bilingual. But I guess I guess you know it's like that's that's kind of where the club is today. Um, is yeah, but I mean, you know, obviously our probably policy and different discuss. Yeah, of course, duh. This whole weaving spiders thing—that's a big joke. I mean, come on. Yeah, like clearly, but also like it's probably happening at Bilderberg. It's happening in non clubs as well. Well, it's like these people get to. I don't think you the know. club is like the catalyst for it. Yeah, they get to know each other. They, you know, there's and and travel is so much easier now than it was like a hundred years ago. Right. So it's much easier for these people to like, I mean, hell, you could zoom somebody for God's sakes. Like you don't need to like see them in person. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like you said, I could text somebody, I could call somebody. Um, it's not like communication is super challenging anymore. So, you know, if you know these people, it's easy to get in touch it with them. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of, um, I don't I maybe I'm mis probably misusing the word, but partisan discussion here. It seems like it's mostly just, people of a more conservative leaning yeah. hanging out and getting drunk and fraternizing, talking about things that they already would be talking about, yeah. like yeah. policies that they already would want to be doing. And then yeah. like, there's not, it's not like, I think a more shadier thing would be more of a like, well, oh, there's people from both sides, like just shaking hands and fraternizing, which is kind of what Bilderberg feels like. Well, that's kind yeah. of people from all walks of, and then that's that's one thing is that like of policy and business and whatnot. You know, you know, I read that like through through the sixties and seventies, like official government officials, cabinet members and other government officials from Kennedy and Johnson and Carter administrations made appearances at the Grove during the summer. And during the nineties, nobody from Bill Clinton's cabinet or administration yeah. was a guest. Which I think aligns itself with how American politics have kind of shifted mm -hmm. to be very much, much more partisan partisan. Yeah. Cause even the definitions of these words meant different things back then. Right. Like yeah. someone who was so like social versus what your political identity was, I think a lot more detached. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you probably had people of a more like actual conservative socially leaning where it was like, you know, the old boys club or whatever. Yeah. It does really just seem like it's a place to just be able to get drunk and piss openly and <laughs> yeah, not have anyone take pictures of you for it. Well, I think that's well said, Art. Um, and maybe a good capper, a uh, good lead into verdicts. Do you want to get to verdicts or do you have anything else you want to talk about? Hey, cappers, how about you get me some capers? Because I'd love something briny. Wait, what did I say? <laughs> you said capper. Capper. I want some capers. Oh yeah, I that's love all capers. it is. I love capers. You think I could do some? Lo that's the low. Of course, jinx. I, of course I love capers. Yeah, this would be our some low, low jinx. jinx over at uh, the Bohemian Grove. Uh, listen, if <laughs> it, listen, Bohemian Club, <clears throat> I know you're listening uh, to this episode. Let Art and I do the low jinx one year. <laughs> It'd be so good, dude. You'll never like. 
probably none of the actors will do it. They'll be like, this is such utter trash. It doesn't seem like it's very funny. Like if all the humor is still this like hokey old 1950s humor, it seems lame as fuck. Um, It seems like they're not coming with the times. That's what I mean when I say like, who are the like elites? Not like think like someone who is probably at like uh, an elite today is honestly like a Joe Rogan, right? He has a lot of influence. He has one of the biggest podcasts in the world. It's absolutely huge media platform. Huge empire, lots of cash, a lot of money. Um, would he gel with those guys? Probably not. He would probably they probably wouldn't gel with him. No, I don't think that they would probably like. It Joe seems Rogan like they're more of a lean of like, of like a socially conservative sort of thing, right. where it's like, which is lame. It's yuppies and, and not fun. Yeah, it's like it's like it's right. like your traditional like, you know, white collar. Yeah. Um, People who like, you know, we went out on the bay, right, with our boat on the yacht, which like to get like be drunk and like do all this other silly stuff. It's like, oh, we're consuming the arts. Like it's like a different kind of elite. I don't know. I don't know how to think about it. I saw the menu, the movie, the menu recently. I know you haven't seen this movie, but there's like a restaurant tour and it's like high fine dining. And that's what I think of when I think of like the people who were in the menu or who are at the restaurant. That's what I think of when I think of like, yeah. I guess Bohemian Grove. It's like, there's like a restaurant tour and she like reviews restaurants. And she's like this hoity, like just this fucking like, so detached from me, describing the food in these like s- words that you would use like dirigible, which I know doesn't make sense, but yeah. I don't have the vocab oh, it to was even a, imitate you. It was a steak dirigible. Yeah. Like, that's, I guess, what I think of. I don't know. Um, it's hard for me to encapsulate. No, no, my no. And I think that, right I think now. that you're right because you know, like, I think it's Philip Weiss that wrote about what the food they served mm-hmm. was because you can always go to the dining circle at the mealtime and everybody eats together in fellowship. And like one of the breakfasts one morning was like smoked cod from Alaska, and they had like fresh tomatoes, like mm-hmm. huge bowls of fresh fruit that were set on the tables, like just for anybody to share. Um, it's family stuff, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Like exactly. And then the, you know, they have wait staff that's serving you. Right. Uh, and apparently the Bohemian thing to do is like, you're not, you're, you're not expected because it's, you're expected to be grateful, um, and not abuse the servers, which apparently they have to say that, I guess, because given the audience, I guess maybe right. that's a thing, but it's like supposed to be, if, even if they screw something up, you're just supposed to be polite about it. Hmm. Um, cause that's the Bohemian thing to do. Uh, and so there's no, there's no like tipping or anything like that. They're paid employees, probably not paid very well, I would guess, but they're paid employees. And, um, yeah, it's, it's like gourmet fare. Yeah. But out in the middle of the woods. Right. Um, here's an idea because they have like pianos everywhere because that's like part of the thing is like they have piano players that go around and like play music and stuff. Like who are those? That's who I want to know. Who yeah. I want to know who those people are. Right. Give me the lower class people and then tell me what they think about this. Yeah. That's I, what I'm interested in. I read something about what, who are these people? It's actually Mary Moore's granddaughter who worked briefly uh, at the summer retreat. Uh-huh. And she said it was just like, she was, she was a food server and she said it was just like you walk out and it's, uh, from like the kitchen area or wherever you're like, they're, they're assembling the food to be served mm-hmm. and you walk out and it's just a bunch of bald white heads and cigar smoke. Okay. 
And so it's like basically you're just working out out in the woods and people are blowing cigar smoke in your face all day. <laughs> I don't know. But, I guess what are what are we verdicting on? But I'm but I'm saying this is satanic. They have by the entrance there's a building and it's whole like it stores pianos. Like they have a piano warehouse. They have so many pianos. Like that's that's the kind of crowd that's here. I, I don't know what that, I guess I don't, I don't know. I can't encapsulate what that crowd is. Anymore. Right? Like a piano warehouse. Like it's piano warehouse crowd. I guess it's like the same people who are in the, like the show Succession. Like, I guess that's, <laughs> like, I don't know. But maybe the, the, uh, uh, Brian Cox, like his character, Logan Roy, like maybe it's like him. I know this means nothing to you, but no, someone out there knows. Fuck about any of this shit. Um, I don't know. All right. So what are we verdicting on? Well, what we got to take a verdict thing? on is, is Bohemian Grove a platform for the New World Order mm. to develop its agenda mm-hmm. of anti-democratic domination mm. of people all over the world or not? Something else. Okay. Like, like for me on this one, case closed is like, this is just summer camp. Mm-hmm. Case confirmed is, yes, this is absolutely a place where the power elite gather to decide the fate of humanity. Mm-hmm. All right. Would you have some lined up? Yeah, I got a, I got lots of thoughts on this. Okay. Um, as showed my hand a lot earlier, I think everybody knows where I'm going to go. You have shown your hands. I'm seeing them right I'm now. I'm seeing them right now. I'm Callous, doing jazz hands. Gross hands. Richard Nixon would hate this because I'm doing jazz hands right now. Suck it to me. But oh. I'm going to give this... Oh. This is not a case closed for me. Oh, this is like a Andy, plausible. I'm not a case closed. I'm gonna I'm gonna surprise you with this. <laughs> I think I don't think you are. Get your hand on my face. I'm gonna surprise you don't with you this. Grab me. I'm gonna go plausible plus. Wow. And I'm gonna tell you why. Okay, please I'm do. Giving it just a little bit of plausibility because, look, I don't believe the new world order stuff. That mm-hmm. like this is some gathering place for everybody to convene. And decide the fate of humanity and like pull the levers of policy against the will of the people and all that stuff. I don't, I don't really get that. There's not enough people involved in it. Uh, it's not, it's not effective enough in my mind. At least at the very least, there's more effective versions of this. Yeah. And, and I'm not, I'm not case closed because I do think this is more than just a bunch of guys, group of guys getting together out in the woods, having a good time for a couple of weeks because it's, it's somewhere in between that. Mm-hmm. And it really is. I think Mary Moore's got the right idea here. Um, Professor Domhoff has the right idea. I don't think that there's anything particularly sinister or satanic happening at these. It's a bunch of it's a bunch of theater dorks that created a bunch of traditions. These traditions have so much inertia now that the club just keeps doing them. And but what really happens is the audience has changed so much that there is this opportunity for like. Uh, corporate interests and political interests to gather in a place that's outside of the public view and, you know, make decisions about things that, um, you know, maybe people don't necessarily, doesn't work out necessarily great for all people. Um, Obviously we still get to pull the levers of democracy, right? We can pull those levers. And you're, you're miming right now, pulling two levers by taking your hands and working them back and forth as if you were had like, I don't know, to two poles, right, right. It's that's how levers work in the yeah, boating. You, you look like you're. That's that's how levers work, and you're greasing those two poles. Right, I'm greasing. That's what they With call your it, hands. That's why they call it a pole when they do voting, is because it's greasy poles, and you gotta you gotta stroke those levers. Yeah. So 
we still control the levers of democracy at the mm-hmm. end of the day. You know, you can make the argument that like candidates are too much the same and all that. There's not enough choice and blah, 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 blah. It's all fair arguments. I'm not saying sure. that. But I don't think that I don't I think that there is some of this stuff and it does help create this elite class of people that do have this social cohesion. I was pretty swayed by Professor Domhoff's arguments about there being I mean, because I think everybody sees it now, right? Like that there is definitely an upper class of people that doesn't just exist in a local area. It exists across the whole country. Um, across the whole world, really. Yeah, across the whole world. You mean really. you want to talk about Europe? It's like where they have actual monarchies still. Right. Like that's so foreign to us, but we kind of have it, but we kind of don't. Right. It is it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah. And so I do think that there's something that's probably not ideal and like there probably should be more sunshine in here, or they should just really clamp down and say, like, we're not gonna discuss like get rid of the lakeside talks unless it's like stuff about like hey, here's what's happening in science today. Like, you know, something that's just more for your own edification than like, I'm coming from as a representative of the current presidential administration to tell you about a specific policy objective for no no reason other than to just let you know. Like, it's obvious that they're, they're soliciting um, support and trying to get in front of powerful people to to get those things. And, you know, honestly, like they're doing that anyway everywhere right and <laughs> at all times i mean it's 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 like it just is a platform to make it easy and so like right. yeah, not I defending mean, it i'm just saying that like you're you right know, is is the grove the, it's not like the, the, the only place that it happened it might have been back in the day right i mean because 70 years ago maybe right. it was but you had to, not today you, that's the only time you could meet all those people right but now you can fucking like we said you could fly in for could be there in a fucking hour. I mean, when when, when are we going to do an episode on fucking Jackson Hole? Like, when are we going to do right. an episode on like, um, the I don't Lynx know, the Lynx Club? Club. Yeah, I've never even heard of that. Yeah, like, there's all these, there's the a, Freemasons, right? There's so many, there's so many opportunities now. So I do think that that's happening. I I don't know how you would ever stop it, but it's probably happening. So it, it's it's plausible plus for me, but it's yeah. not it's not satanic worship and fucking child of like sacrifice. That's that's just, that's the Alex Jones that's just, spin. Yeah, that's just a falsehood. So that he can it's a complete make more money. It's a complete uh, misinterpretation of everything that's going on with a bunch of like fanciful made up stuff added on top. That's my verdict. It's a good verdict, Andy. Um, you really fucking publicly urinated all over the grove that is this podcast. Yeah. Um, funny enough, I actually have the same verdict. Whoa! Yeah, wow! I, decided, I wasn't expecting uh, a double plausible, plausible plus, plus as well. We're we're holding hands on this one. Wow! We're holding dropping trow and pissing openly. We're almost. holding each other's dicks while we piss. We are. On this you one. have your hand on mine. I have my hand on yours. Right. Um, we're greasing the electorate. Right. 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 Um, obviously, you know, my hand still has a lot of area free. Yours fully engulfed. <laughs> yeah, I can't even see my hand. <laughs> Why do you have such a puffy foreskin? <laughs> <laughs> People have likened my dick to the Michelin Man, yes, right, yeah. Um, no, I, I'm I'm in agreement with you. I definitely think that you know, yeah, of course they're rubbing hands, shaking dicks. <laughs> Haven't be just. I also think too, it's just like a good, like it's just it is. It's it's like this old, like you think you brought up like George W. Bush. It's like he is from like an elite class of society. Dad is part of the CIA and these upper echelons of society. Policymakers was the fucking president. So George W. Bush goes to Yale. Mm-hmm. He's a cheerleader. But he's also like a party animal. He's a fucking frat bro. Yeah. But he's like also part of this like elite club of like 
unintangible un- wealth and access. Really, more than the wealth is the access. He gave his first Lakeside talk in the late 90s, and he was introduced by his father. Right. And his father said, like, and I think he'll make a great president someday. Right. And it's like, oh, then he was president only a few years later. Right. And it's like people say, like, wow, the Grove did that. It's like... The Grove plus it, 40 other things. Right, right. It it didn't hurt. Like, if he did a good show there. It didn't hurt. Like, he made his connections. He did things Correct. that helped him. But, like, Correct. a lot of other stuff had to go his way. I mean, honest to God, he was a Supreme Court verdict away from losing that election. Right. Exactly. <clears throat> like, so, it, wasn't, it wasn't like he slam dunk. Right. Right. Exactly. And and he also, there was, it's a stepping stone, right? The Grove but is it, a But, he, you know, stone. it's like, it's funny because. It's a check off on the box. It's so crazy how. A guy like George W. Bush, who's who's such a legacy, so part of the elite, could be such a self-starter like Al Gore, <laughs> who was who was who was a self-made man <laughs> and had no uh, no help and no other connect- connections. I don't really then, know a lot about Al Gore. Oh, either. his father was a U.S. senator from Tennessee. Okay. Well, I didn't know that for a long time. And <laughs> it's interesting that for re-election, George W. Bush had to meet another, beat another self-made man, John Kerry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It might know a little bit more about <laughs> who did who did not ketchup who did not have the wealth of the Heinz ketchup heiress behind right, him right. in his campaign. I get what you're saying, and so I'm just what I'm trying to what I'm trying to say now. is that the Grove seems like a stepping stone, a checkbox in a long list of other things. It's like it's like it's like local it's like local politicians going to like one of these like. You know, like, oh, if you're going to run for whatever and you're like, if you're running for U.S. Congress in your district, there's probably one of these events where it's like the political people in the area are all in the district are all together. And those are the kinds of things that you have to go to and you have to make a good impression Mm -hmm. if you want to win, because those are the people that are going to do like all the groundwork for you and Mm -hmm. convince other people to vote for you. Mm -hmm. And this is just like that. It's everything. It's, It's a chess just move on a board and yeah, it's, it's the country club. Right. I am more curious in the other people. Yeah. I really want to know, like, who are these other fucking people? These other thousands of writers and artists and bohe- like people who like theater. I don't think of those being the same kinds of people, like people who are obsessed with theater and the production of theater. I don't think of them in the same vein as like, you know, these like politicians and other elite people that we're talking about going there and, and having a good time. But um, anyway, yeah, I do think that things happen there. I think that things happen in a lot of places. Um, yeah, I'm not as convinced about the whole satanic thing as well. If anything, I think that it's might even be the opposite where it's like very anti-satanic. And, um, <laughs> you know. Yeah. You know, Metallica's not going to show up there. Yeah. Yeah. Are they going to? Talk about like an elite artist. Right. 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 I don't think that they're going to invite, you know, to the big Friday, little Friday, big Saturday or whatever it is. Right. I don't think they're going to be inviting like, you know, Dave Mustaine there to shred the guitar. Like I doubt that's going <laughs> to. Right. Dave Mustaine's a good example because he's pretty conservative. Right. It, he what? had this like kind of turn where he went like. He's, and like he's kind of big, a Christian he's big now. conspiracy kind of guy. Huge in conspiracy. So like, you know, I, I just, He'd I could never, fit. I couldn't, yeah, I could never see them having him though. But like, I don't think they would have all him. that stuff. And he doesn't fit in. You know, it's like, they're going to be more like Jimmy Buffett, like is going to be the, the guest, you know, like they're probably, <laughs> and you know, it's probably stuff like, you know, if, if the artist has political stuff, they're probably like, don't do any of the political shit while you're here. Like, let's just keep it, keep it straight, you know? Yeah. 
Um, so there you have it, Beefers. A pair of pl- plausible pluses for old me and Artie while we hold dicks and piss on everything in the bunker. Uh, what do you think? What's your verdict on uh, Bohemian Grove? Let us know. Use the hashtag public urinals, public urinals and uh, tell us what you think. You can get at us at Instagram and Twitter at Mr. Bunkerpod. Email us, Mr. Bunkerpod at gmail.com. You can check out our videos on YouTube if you haven't done that yet. Just Google YouTube and then just search Google YouTube. Mr. Conspiracy I'm actively having a stroke at the moment. Sorry. Um, I smell toast. Um, you know, Beefers, uh, if you have uh, the, you know, uh, means to do so and you feel so inclined, please consider becoming a patron of our show. Patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bunker Pod. Um, and uh, hey, thanks again to Dom for this episode suggestion. Um, thanks again to our newest patron, Lucas Duvall. Um, Art, any last words before we sign off here? Um, well, bunk fingers, get ready, uh, for, for bunky me and Grove. Um, you all are part of an elite club of obnoxious losers who are loud. Um, this is the new club that we're starting. Uh, it's very just, it'll have a lot of similar things to Bohemian Grove. We won't have any kind of lakeside talks. We will have, um, you know, we, we, we will have a lot of food, be a lot, a lot of, of pillow food. chat be pillow chats there will be lots of public urination um, mandatory public mand- urination. Actually mandatory public there urination. will be no bathrooms um we don't have a piano warehouse but we do have a banjo hanger um but i do have a 12 inch pianist <laughs> and um long story <laughs> and uh yeah we're gonna have a good time bunky me and grove uh, a lot of a lot of high jinks, a lot of low jinks, and some medium jinks. We don't extra wanna... large jinks as well. We'll right. throw in a couple extra large jinxes and some two XL jinxes. Right for our, for people like me, we don't fit in regular seats. <laughs> so uh, it'll be a good time. It's going to be a great time. Check that out. Uh, we'll be sending out flyers for Punkemian Grove. Uh, there will be graphic depictions of child sacrifice on all the invitations. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, opposite of that, there will actually be graphic depictions of child sacrifice. Uh, there will be effigies burning to Satan, right? And Murloc, yeah. We'll be and the World of Warcraft Murlocs we'll, as well. We'll be, <laughs> we will be attempting to summon any and all dark gods during during Bunkemian Grove. <laughs> um, so check it out. Uh, we look forward to seeing you there. Um, but that's our show for today. Uh, Beefers, thanks for joining us on this trip to the Redwood Forests. Um, for not the titular Mister Bunker, but for my egregious co-host Art Stone. I'm Andy Hart saying that was the whole enchilada. Bunker to me.
Well, hey, podcast listener. My name is Vince, and I'm the host of a show called The RR Show. It stands for Reddit Readings. We're going to sit down twice a week, and I'm going to bring you the most entertaining stories from all of the best subreddits that exist online. Things like malicious compliance, petty revenge, hey, lady, I don't work here. Oh, there's so much more. Lots of great stories and things you won't believe. Like the one time uh, this dude was caught in a bathroom with his friend and he was slapping them because that was the only way that he could actually legitimately help them. A mall cop comes in with a taser. Oh, yeah, the rest is history. It's going to be fun. There is, uh, well, I don't know, I got like 20 seconds left, so I don't got much more time to tell you another story. But just join me on The RR Show. It's from Evergreen Podcast, produced in partnership with Wessler Media. So The RR Show. Wherever you get podcasts, subscribe today, and uh, it's like an adult story time. Let's hang out together. The RR Show. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts.